welcome back to the Red Leaf Retrocast. It's the WrestleCast edition, episode 56, titled Strong Climb Ice Dojo. I'm your host, JD. As usual, uh, I will be joined later in the show by my mom and another special guest, whom I will introduce uh, to whom that might be in a sec. Uh, just to go through the agenda right fast on this episode. Uh, we are continuing with uh, recommended matches from outside promotions, but it will basically be kind of a, a quick thoughts over uh, Impact Rebellion. Uh, so I'll get into that. After, after the Impact Rebellion, uh, my mother will be joining uh, to continue the USA versus Europe uh, war, which is incredibly one-sided at this point. Uh, it really hurts that WXW is not running any shows. Uh, none of Europe is, for that matter. Uh, but she will be back to recap and review the last uh, couple weeks of AEW Dynamite. Uh, that will be followed with no indie wrestling uh, to go along with WXW. Uh, Limitless Wrestling has been doing their own dojo shows, uh, Night at the Dojo. Not really interested in checking that out myself. Uh, I saw one episode. It's okay. It, it just feels like guys training. Uh, so it just... It's cool. I'm glad they're doing things. They're trying to raise money, uh, get some names out there, staying in shape. Nothing. I got. I got no problem with that. That stuff. Uh, it's just not for me. Much like the Gato Move uh, Chaco Pro shows uh, with a bunch of the DDT wrestlers and uh, and well, Gato Move of course. Uh, Mesugura is doing some great stuff over there, uh, along with Emi Sakura and of course the just the DDT roster that's being involved there. It's it's again just not for me. Uh, but I do recommend checking it out if you're looking for more wrestling uh, along the way. Uh, but in the Joshi War section, um, just to mention that my buddy Jay over at the Smack It Down podcast, he's checking out Marvelous, uh, that promotion, because they will be starting out uh, doing their own dojo shows uh, that will be available on their stream service, Marvelous Pro. If you are, again, wanting more Joshi wrestling, if you're missing your stardom, for example, and you want something to watch, maybe check out uh, Marvelous over there. That's Chigasa Nagayo's uh, promotion that she's recently handed over, basically the reins, to uh, Takami Roja. Uh, but we'll be doing Ice Ribbon. Yes, they are still running shows. They are doing dojo shows. I will be joined uh, with Eric from the Joshi Pod. Uh, very excited. We uh, we spoke an hour over the Ice Ribbon Dojo shows that have been going on, kind of the, the situation there, who's getting pushed, thoughts over Suzu Suzuki, uh, an excellent, excellent time. I really enjoyed having him on. We'll be going over that. And then for the uh, Puro War that's supposed to be in 2020, New Japan versus Dragon Gate, uh, since Dragon Gate uh, stopped doing their empty arena do dojo-style shows, uh, that I was really enjoying. I was just kind of frustrated with some booking. Uh, with all that's available, I started. I just took it upon myself this past weekend to watch all of uh, the available Big Japan wrestling shows that I could watch. So that will be a 2020 catch-up of all of Big Japan, along with a couple uh, two AW shows. So I'll get into that. Uh, well, that'll be kind of a, uh, just like how this podcast started, it'll just be kind of a recap over some bigger matches, uh, or something that really stuck out to me, whether that was, uh, good match-wise, certain wrestlers, 
maybe I have some issues with the booking as a newer fan. Uh, I've only seen maybe a couple Big Japan shows in my life, so a lot of the guys on top uh, I've never seen before. Some guys I've seen from All Japan Wrestling. Uh, so very excited. I hope you guys enjoy uh, Big Japan kind of inserting their foot into the Puro War here. I did check out a NOAA show, uh, NOAA Empty Arena, and uh, with their recent acquisition of the, uh, from the, uh, the owners of DDT, I forget what they're, they're called, but I uh, figured I'd give NOAA a try. I, I tend to give them a try every now and again. Uh, their Empty Arena shows are death. It just felt like a chasm of no charisma, and I just found it so boring that I turned it off, so NOAA is a no-go for me. Uh, so after the Big Japan, go into the retro section of the podcast. That will be, uh, of course, All Japan Women. We're going through the classics. I'm on. We're on episode 19 now for the podcast, uh, which was April 27th, 1987, that show uh, at the Osaka Prefectural Gymnasium. Uh, very good show. And then uh, my mother, for the extra show of the podcast, she was very interested in watching the retro New Japan show that I was about to watch. Uh, that's the May 31st, 1991 show. So she will be reviewing that with me later in the show. And of course, as always, finish out the show with WCW Nitro. We are up to November 2nd, 1998. We're almost done with the year of 98. And then we're into 99. Possibly the most, just from a falling standpoint, the most interesting year in WCW. Um just from a fascinating one. So basically when you get to this port, this part in 1998, you're moral. Now that the warriors kind of gone, uh, and, and you've really seen kind of the, the feeling and direction and the absolute disaster that is going to strike WCW. Uh, I haven't seen 19, I like 1999 is what caused me to basically turn off of, wrestling as a as a uh, frequent frequent weekly viewer and there's a lot of 99 that i just have zero memory of uh from a child i haven't watched it since that time so we're approaching that time where it's all basically new to me um haven't decided if we're gonna go to the 2000s of nitro uh since it's just so absurd maybe i'll just do the pay-per-views or certain shows I haven't decided yet. That's a long, long ways away. It's taken uh, basically two years just to get through 1998, so no problem. I'm in no hurry. But let's get this episode going. I got the impact music. I got to. I, I get to finally play. Don't get to play it too often. Uh, it's been so long. I can't even. I can't even find it. Where is it? Come on, Impact Wrestling. Where you are? Each eye. There it is. It's got a load, apparently. Yes, sirs. Impact Rebellion. Uh, the show too big for just one night. Impact Rebellion Night 1. Um, very much enjoyed. Uh, this was Empty Arena. They did all their tapings. Uh, to get ready for the Rebellion pay-per-view, um, I saw the basically the last two shows getting ready uh, to plug this one. And night one 
was um, a, a night I really enjoyed. Uh, Crazy Steve made a return for Team ECW. Uh, of course, they beat uh, the Impact team, so we're still going with the the veterans over uh, OVE there. Don't like that booking at all, uh, but Crazy Steve did return. Rascals went over Team Triple XL. Uh, Larry D, AC Romero, Falaba, TJP. That's fine. Uh, but the match that really stood out to me is the uh, uh, X Division title match. Uh, that was that's Ace Austin, the champion, defending against Willie Mack. Uh, I'm a big Ace Austin fan. Willie Mack is very solid. Liked him in Lucha Underground. He just kind of just kind he comes comes across as an indie guy at times. Uh, not a whole lot of charisma. Uh, but Ace Austin, I love this dude. He's he really reminds me the embodiment of the X Division title uh, back even harping back to the early TNA days. How guys like Chris Christopher Daniels, Samoa Joe, AJ Styles. I'm not saying he's as good as them, but what I do see is kind of that kid Romeo. Uh, yeah, let's let's keep up with the kid Romeo look. Like he does a lot of good things in the ring. He's still very young, so there, he's a little bit rough around the edges. I like the character. I like the gimmick. I love Ace Austin. This match delivered on a lot of levels. Uh, it ended a little funky, um, but I love the idea behind it. And even though it had that funky ending, I do agree with... Uh, I like the little innovation kind of deal. Uh, Ace Austin did probably my favorite uh, counter of a stunner where it kind of tells you that uh, the stunner itself isn't in full effect until you land on your back. So Willie Mack hits the stunner, and Ace Austin takes it on the chin and does a backflip and lands on his feet, and that's how he goes into into the big fold, the running uh, the running flip neck breaker. I did really like that. I got a, I got a big pop out of myself for that one. Uh, Willie Mack does win off a stunner, uh, on the top turnbuckle, why I say this fi- this is funky is because the way the camera was angled, it looked like Willie Mack dropped and nutted himself on the turnbuckle, and then Ace Austin fell backwards. I didn't catch it was a stunner at first because of that angle. Uh, and then Willie Mack does the frog splash for the win. So new champion. I like that match. I do recommend it. Uh, it was followed by Kylie Ray taking on Kira Hogan. Uh, a solid women's match. No complaints. Kylie Ray wins. Probably the right right choice. Uh, building her up for the division. I like that match as well. And then the unsanctioned match between Shamrock and Sammy Callahan uh, ends via referee decision. Sammy Callahan kind of turns his back, sort of, kind of, of OVE near the match. This was your cinematic impact type match that they do. You know, kind of the total deletion thing. Uh, Shamrock, to me, comes across as an old man. Hey, he's in great shape. But he's very old, and he sure moves and looks like it. Looks like it. Uh, if this was a true turn on OVE for Sammy Callahan, then I don't like him losing the match. I don't think I, I think that devalues him. I don't like this idea of Ken Shamrock being a main inventor, like it's 1998 all over again kind of situation. 99, whenever that was. Uh. I get that Callahan wants to kind of do things solo, but uh, this sh- this could have been executed more. The match never really got going for me. It it was ju- it just came across as weird. 
And then Impact Rebellion Night 2 had no good matches. Uh, Tessa Blanchard is stuck in Mexico, so she couldn't defend the title. Eddie Edwards decided not to go, so their entire build for the main event, which I thought was done very well, was totally scrapped. And their idea to save it was horrendous. It felt like old TNA all over again. I did not like it. And to exacerbate the fact that it felt like old TNA... What happens is Michael Elgin comes out. He's like, ah, they didn't show up. Cowards kind of situation. Uh, turns his back and then Moose comes out. Uh, main event Moose or Money Moose, or whatever he wants to call himself. He's He's got this like hybrid Macho Man Randy Savage Ultimate Warrior gimmick going on. It's a goofy gimmick. I like it. It's like he's almost in denial of his own character. And he brings back the old TNA Heavyweight Championship and deems himself... What they're going for is an interim champion, but the fact that Moose put the, put this on himself, and then Elgin just kind of accepts, and then of all people, Hernandez busts into the main event, becomes a three-way, so you have three big dudes, and two of which get blown up so fast that it it's fully reliant on Elgin to run a three-way, and it just, it was sloppy, it was slow, it was a disaster. Moose does, uh, does end up winning, and to me, this puts over the comedy character, uh, and this fake-ass title that they need to step away from, and devalues Elgin. So I did not like this. Night 2 was a total disaster. I absolutely just hated it. And that's so, so sad because I did enjoy Night 1. So Tale of Two Stories there, it felt like old TNA on so many levels where it's almost like the undercard was great or the pay-per-view is good. Then you watch the TV show and you just get irritated and angry. So there's my impact thoughts. I do recommend the Ace Austin-Willie Mack match easily. And with that, we'll transition into AEW Dynamite with my mom. Be back in a sec. Judas in my mind. Mom, we're back for another AEW recap. Weekly wrestling recap. You betcha. You betcha. You betcha, eh? Good times. Good yeah. times. So your cat right? was bothering you precast, and of course, as soon as I hit the record button, now my cat <laughs> is doing nothing but trouble over there by the cords. There he goes. Okay. Oh my god, you have such problems. Uh, well, he's been especially bad. His new thing, uh, he ha he hasn't been doing new things lately, um, the past couple months, but since Thursday, trash cans are now his favorite thing. There's there's nothing in them, right? But he must tip them over and see what's inside. <laughs> what the heck? Yeah. And that goes for the kitchen trash can, the bathroom trash can. Anything with uh, <laughs> potentially the plastic? Oh, no. Or, oh, he's licking on the plastic. Well, he's not even licking on it. He just kind of claws at it and then gets bored. And as soon as I put the trash can back upside, upright, he goes, yeah. ah, it's back up. Time to tip that shit over again. <laughs> nice. Wow. Yeah. So I put an empty. So psycho, yeah. cat, psycho cat has been um, calm for a while until yeah. now. Oh. So I put a uh, I put a bot an empty bottle of uh, scotch in there to keep it upright, 
kind of helps, but he's a big boy, so. Yeah, I don't know. That's not going to matter, right? Uh-uh. So we're still doing... Has to be a full bottle of scotch so he can lick on it and get drunk. <laughs> Need to get... <laughs> Let's just get that right. <laughs> spice, spice up the plastic uh, outer lining. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Put some catnip around oh, that, it. Oh, that'll really make him happy. <laughs> that, that'd tear some shit up. <laughs> mm. I gave the cats catnip yesterday. They were working on it all day. Off and on. Mm-hmm. It was perfect. Nothing like drugging up the the felines. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I like I like seeing them uh, go cuckoo around the house. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> uh, so we're doing AEW April fifteenth and April twenty second. That is Dynamite episodes twenty eight and twenty nine. Still empty arena. Still in QT Marshall's training school. And uh, yep. as I learned, apparently most of these. Um, Indie guys that are showing up on Dynamite mm-hmm. lately, because remember, yeah. month back or so they had they started doing AEW Dark and having a bunch of these indie guys work AEW Dark. Uh huh. On AEW, yeah. And I was like, this Dark. is a great opportunity for the indie guys to get noticed. Uh, they're not being yep. t- super completely totally squashed, so they get more experience. Yeah. Um, it goes with more of what AEW is trying to do as a different image, separate themselves from kind of typical Western wrestling, make it more like it's, uh, more like European and, and Eastern wrestling where not everything is an automatic squash match, right? You won't, you won't, the squash matches will still happen every once in a while, but it keeps you, the viewer, at least this is my opinion, you, the viewer, more invested on, hey, this indie guy lasted longer than a minute. Maybe I should look out at look look for him in the future situation, or I'll look at him a little closer uh, as time goes right. on. Well, I I did have the opportunity to um, watch AEW Dark. Oh, did you? Um, uh, uh, and it was very quiet. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, you know, when it first started, and and you were even. Um, surprised that I watched AEW Dark, but then um, I kind of got sidetracked off of AEW Dark, and you liked AEW Dark, but after not watching it for a while, I wanted to see what was going on uh, with, you know, AEW Dark uh, during this time, and um, very quiet. I I really wasn't feeling, and this kind of goes into... um, AEW, uh, this episode mm-hmm. per se, um, was very quiet. Um, I thought the energy was a lot, uh, lower than previous shows through, through this time. Well, it's interesting because I'm going to interrupt you here for a second. Uh, so mm-hmm. they did like six weeks of pre-taping, right? So you can imagine yes. after like three, four hours of doing it, your energy level is going to get lower. Oh, absolutely. And it, and it really showed in this episode that they were, it was uh, very quiet, very, um, the energy level was just very low. And you could really feel that they were tired. Oh, yeah. They, they were taping Everybody all night kind of situation. Uh, yeah. Plus going in and out between their matches. Uh, what, what they were, I saw what they were trying to do was kind of swap people in and out of the crowd. You know, hey, go take a break for an hour sure. or two. 
you know, right. we'll, we'll get someone fresh but in it's here. Still, you know, you're talking about a, a, a very physical um, sport, and um, and everything is different. The you know, your ring is smaller. Sure, sure. The energy level is much lower, uh, and even though you have your small audience of other wrestlers per se. Um, this particular episode was just very quiet, very um, not the energy level that it had been. Yeah, uh, and the and the I mean, there was still a couple things I really liked on the episode, but the format on this, I think they were trying to change it up a little bit. Uh-huh. Uh, which is it, don't, hey, it didn't work. Well. Okay. You know, it, it it's okay. You know, you got to try something. You, you're you're given a, a an amount of time where you've got to get a lot of stuff in in a in a short amount of time without uh, you know wearing people down. Right. But uh, this particular episode, you could tell they were tired. They they their energy level was was down there. Well, but what anyway, I, have... I mean they they. They uh, still put on a good show, just not um, the energy level that prior ones were. Well, what I've appreciated is they've tried to get a somewhat of a format down, but they are changing things up each and every episode. So each one doesn't feel exactly the same. Which sure, is yeah, ve- you have now, to. Now, will one episode maybe not work and another will? Well, of course, that's par for the course when you're trying new things. I would rather them try new things and keep things fresh, uh, especially during the time period that we're in currently, rather than getting into this complacent, monotonous mode, which is what I'm seeing in, uh, well, NXT, WWE, just as that an example. Thing. Yeah. That other thing. Uh, I'll get into... Yeah. No, I'll, yeah, I agree. Later in this episode, yeah, I'm totally. going to get into Ice Ribbon, which uh, which is a uh, Joshi promotion in Japan, and they've been doing weekly YouTube shows for an hour, uh, and they've even brought back an internet wrestling title that they used to have at their dojo when they were training wrestlers. Oh, okay. Uh, so they're doing interesting things to keep their promotion kind of in the spotlight, keep their wrestlers fresh. I'm also convinced that they're also, all the wrestlers are living at the dojo, so they're in their own kind of sort of quarantine. <laughs> yeah, Pro- probably. Pro- it's very probable, <laughs> very yeah. Probable. They're like, shit, we need to yeah. make some money, otherwise we're going to starve. <laughs> Let's do this YouTube right? thing. Um, but anyways, uh, moving on with AEW, uh, I do have a note from Dark. Uh, there was a match, Penelope Ford versus Anna Jay, which piqued my interest because Anna Jay is only six matches into her entire career which is the only one that i that i watched because then i then i had to uh go and uh watch yeah, something else fair. so it's the only one i want i feel yeah. like talking about and then penelope ford <laughs> that's the only one i watched <laughs> well and then penelope ford uh, she she's athletic she she has character right uh but she's still very yeah. young in the business green she's very green she's very now green. you're learning the terminology yeah. <laughs> Um, no, there's that's that's for anybody new <laughs> that doesn't have experience. They're called yeah, green. green horns, whatever you want to call it. Green horns. There you go. Uh, so this was just interesting for me from a young wrestler perspective, in mm-hmm. because they've been wrestling uh, Hikaru Shida, for example, who's probably 
the best women's wrestler on the roster and one of the best in all of AEW, I would say. So these two going against each other, being as young as they are, uh, it was just interesting from that perspective, and uh, it was it was decent for what what they what I expect out of them. There's a reason why they're these two are working a singles match on dark as opposed to on national TV, which is fair. That's fine. That's I think what dark should be is to get exposure and, and ring time for these younger wrestlers. Uh, Ford used a perfect plex as a finisher, the fisherman suplex Mr. Perfect used to use. Mm-hmm. She used that. She needs a little work getting those hands clasped together, but I like I like that she used that move. And and mm-hmm. then uh, from Being the Elite, that's the Young Bucks YouTube show that they've been doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had their 200th mm-hmm. episode, and there was a, a match that they built up between Matt versus Nick, because uh, Nick mm-hmm. got injured on, on Dynamite um, via Chris Jericho in the Inner Circle, and they've been doing a little story that, ah, I gotta, I gotta work out and get back into the ring shape, and he needs to prove himself, so he has a match against Matt, and it was real goofy, uh, falls count anywhere, no holds barred, whatever match, that they they just kind of went around uh, their little area they live, and in their backyard, it, it was like a goofy backyard wrestling match, it was, it was, it was fun, and yet they kind of, they made it seem like it was serious, but it was all, it worked in their little universe of their YouTube show for a wrestling match. Uh, gotcha, yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. At, at one point, uh, Nick did this weird flashback mind power thing where mm-hmm. he he uh, made made a parody of certain wrestling events of the past. For example, just to say the one is uh, he dressed as Shawn Michaels and then Matt was in Marty Jannetty's clothes. Of the okay. old rockers, and it was the, the old barbershop yeah. scene where Shawn Michaels kicks Marty Jannetty through the barbershop window. So they did uh-huh. they did a whole parody of that. Uh, it was really fun. Uh-huh. Um, they even paid homage to some of their own past things. Uh, it was a fun little match. So if you if you yeah. if you want to have a good laugh and have a good entertainment uh, side of things, then that's something I'd recommend. But oh, yeah. okay. As for April fifteenth, Dynamite. Uh, we get another opening with Jake the Snake Roberts. I actually wrote it down this time, his little promo, because I'm really enjoying these uh, opening promo segment segments to start off Dynamite uh-huh, uh-huh, uh, weekly. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, Jake Roberts goes, each time he wins, referencing uh, Lance Archer, he gets closer to what they want, Cody. Jake praises Colt Cabana, uh, but note he's not good enough to take and beat Archer. Uh, Archer was exiled from the United States, forced to go to Japan. He dominated there, and now he's back, and he's an animal. Listen to me, or regret it. This was, I think, <laughs> Jake Roberts' best promo for putting over Lance Archer specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, big criticism um, for a lot of people is Jake the Snake hasn't been doing enough for Lance Archer all his promos seem to get himself over first. Uh, my perspective on it is they're not wrong, but I think that he had to make himself credible as a manager before he could get his client over. Does that make sense? Sure. You know, yeah. it, otherwise he just comes off as an old wrestler talking. Um, I think that's sure. the idea behind it, and that's how it mm-hmm. came across to mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Then we had our, uh, and then we had a little 
Plus, you know, he's old and you got to keep him quarantined. Got to keep him away from, you know, possibilities of uh, health, health reasons. Right. Um, <laughs> Those old people, you got to, you know, got to kind of co- uh, protect them. Mm-hmm. So then we got a little Colt Cabana video package, him being a veteran, undefeated in AEW. Uh, he'll show his worth, you know, make it worthwhile. So fair enough. Fine. And then we had uh, the first round TNT title match. Uh, As we remember, Cody beat Sean Spears last Mm -hmm. week. Uh, Mm -hmm. Lance Archer does win this match. 11 minutes. I enjoyed it. And I was very impressed. Lance Archer got big Colt Cabana up and hit the blackout slam. That was cool. Uh, yeah, you know, Lance is pretty one, uh, uh, angry, ugly, cussy dude. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it it was some, somewhat of an actual match. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, Colt and his little flower outfit just was too much for the, from the pollen of, of Lance Archer. (laughs) (laughs) The bee pollinated the dude. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right uh, but yeah he said lance archer um see i could see a lance archer moxley um head to head that would be very cool to see just like we did at uh yeah. wrestle kingdom with the plastic bag over the face <laughs> yeah yeah um that that to me would be a, be a, a good matchup well, maybe, um, maybe eventually. Later on. Maybe eventually. Later. But clearly, Cody yeah. is the goal. So I. Right. I. Th- uh, you know what? I'll save uh, the rest of the TNT thoughts after we get through April twenty second. Um, okay. So yeah, uh, eleven minutes. I like. I like how they're making the TNT title tournament matches. Uh, Everyone has a purpose and a reason to be in it. They're not squash matches, but they're also not these twenty minute things in an empty arena right oh who was the um who was the dude in the brown coat that uh archer clocked oh yeah archer's uh archer's thing is a page out of minoru suzuki's book in new japan where he just clocks a dude in the audience <laughs> right it's great so i mean don't even know who that guy was that was in the brown coat if he was you know um Maybe a indie wrestler with a brown coat on. Yeah, or, well, he shouldn't you know, have been in Lance Archer's way. Who knows? <laughs> Amateur mistake. I mean, he he was gone. <laughs> yeah, he got, he got pummeled. It was great. <laughs> but no identification of the brown coat dude? Uh, well, I mean, he died. Who cares now? Because <laughs> oh, okay. everybody dies with Lance Archer. Uh, gotcha. Uh, All right, so then we get... Uh, Britt Baker in her dentist office, with uh, with the big presentation canvas, like you would, uh, you would, like I would do in the nineties right. for school. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Ex- exactly. She cuts a promo on the rules of being a role model, and she's got tape over her nose. <laughs> uh, she plays by the rules while her opponents break them. Another dig at Sheeta. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. She's the face of the division, a true winner, the hero we need. <laughs> Of course. It's great. I love it. Um, yeah. Have you got, you, you listen to Britt Baker on the Talk is Jericho podcast, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I like how, uh, well, she confirmed that Dustin Rhodes is training all the women. Um, 
getting getting their getting their bumps in before dynamite uh, at least once a week every Wednesday, and uh, and then yeah. some if they have time, as well as uh, Dustin's teaching them promo work. And Britt Baker is kind of under Cody's wing specifically, uh, more or less the promos. So uh, mm-hmm. the fact that they've started this routine, I don't know when they started it, but it's interesting that she brought that up and kind of confirmed. Uh, mm-hmm. Because we can see progression in the women's division. It's still not up to any par standard that myself or a lot of people want it to be. Uh, but mm-hmm. with all of these women that are so, so young, they need this extra time before, I guess, you can kind of cut them loose and highlight them more. And what, what, better, what a better time to be able to do that because right now they have a much higher opportunity because the, the demand isn't as as it would have been, mm-hmm. say, a month or so ago. So I think they're getting a, um, a, a good opportunity well, the, to, for extra training and well, such. Well, the problem right now is they can't get that extra training in. Uh, and only, I think, four women showed up for the tapings. It was Baker, Anna Jay, Sheeta, and Penelope Ford. Mm-hmm. So they, they're v- extremely limited on... Uh, yeah. what they can do in the women's division during these tapings. But mm-hmm. uh, what they're right. doing is pretty interesting with uh, the Britt Baker promos. Uh, they did a little continuation of the uh, feud, the developing feud of Britt Baker and Sheeta, and Baker just can't seem to beat, get over that hump. She- Britt Baker sure does have one ugly shirt now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, after getting nailed. <laughs> I, yeah, I I just can't buy one. I I, I just couldn't see myself walking into a store with. That. Walk into a store. That's your. That's that's, that's what you need to wear to work. <laughs> like that's not work appropriate. Oh, but I'm a role model. <laughs> a big bloody yeah, face right. over the. That's <laughs> yeah, right. great. Uh, okay, I'm curious to what you what you think of this little segment they're doing. Uh, it's Taz doing a tutorial of uh, kind of these MMA moves. And uh, mm-hmm. this first one, he did another one the next week. This first one was over Hager's uh, head and arm choke. He did it. He does in Bellator, and it's fin- and it's his finishing submission move. It's kind of got the John Madden thing where it's like boom, and then we got the arm over here, and then he circles, and there's an arrow pointing, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do you think of these things? Uh, I think it's uh, another take on things that you may may miss or. If you're new, I guess, into the wrestling scene, sure. um, you know, I mean, it's just another take on, you know, kind of, yeah, it's like the John Madden, John Madden of wrestling. Yeah, it's great. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, really, I really like these. Um, it brings some legitimacy yeah. to the moves they're doing and trying to pull off. So, yeah, yeah. And Taz is clearly sure. uh, loving it because his enthusiasm behind him going over this is there. And then uh, at various points throughout the night, we get various people via Skype or whatever predicting the winner of the eventual uh, main event, Hager versus Moxley. Uh, the wrestlers right. picked Moxley, and the MMA Bellator guys all picked Hager and the Inner Circle. What a surprise. And the Inner Circle, I'm going to blow your mind here, they also picked Jake Hager. <laughs> <laughs> 
Bunch of suckers. So I will say before we get to the main event, because we definitely have thoughts on that. AEW did their damnedest to put this match over as a big deal. And very yes, much wanted it to come across as not a wrestling match, but a fight. Uh-huh. So I give all the kudos in the world to uh, advertising and promoting the match for this episode of Dynamite. Yeah. yeah. Keep keep that in mind. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, defeats uh, Cassandra Golden in a one-minute squash match. Uh, nothing much to say there. She does. She did do no. the uh, curb stomp on the ropes, Jimmy Havoc style. So she's keeping that. Well, she could. She she really couldn't do much because of her broken nose. <laughs> no, and that no. was apparently the <laughs> first match she had on these tapings. So she kind of got. Right. She kind of got screwed there. Unfortunately, yeah. I um, mean, she didn't even break a sweat no. because you know, and and you could tell that. Uh, she wasn't going to be doing any rolling around or no. big giant somersaults or things stupid, you know. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> kind of one, two, three, shortened to the point, yeah. ro- uh, shortened to the rope teeth finish. Short and sweet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, AEW confirmed yeah. double or nothing. The pay per view is still on for May May twenty third, but will no longer be in Vegas anymore. This is. Uh, brought up a lot of criticism for AEW uh, for not just continuing the pay-per-view, but they are also going to continue, um, whether it's taped or live, uh, Dynamite once their tapings are over in May. Uh, What are your thoughts? Should Double or Nothing be canceled outright? Uh, Should they not go live uh, during these pressing circumstances? Let's see, they got May 23rd as their Double or Nothing... Mm -hmm. Um, you know, uh, a lot can happen in the weeks ahead sure. with, uh, opening up, uh, reopening sporting events. Um, well, Florida deemed wrestling as an essential business along with, uh, other sports well and and here's the thing that's in florida so and georgia's opening up if too. that who? georgia georgia yeah. um so if you have yeah gainesville florida they can do another wrestling event there if if the case can be if vegas doesn't open right. up uh sooner um, but still, you're you're still going to be limited to the amount of people that you can have. You know, it'd be like at the beginning when when uh, AEW um, and WWE were told that you know you're only allowed so many people in the ring, so or in you know in the building right. kind of thing. So um, if they do anything, it would probably be something like that. And I I don't see them. You know, filling an entire stadium with no, people no, that would just be that would just be insane. My, this is my proposal. Uh, I don't see that happening. Um, I do see the uh, uh, an audience either in Gainesville, still maybe in Vegas, then that's where it's supposed to be, um, or you know, in Florida, one of the three. But they're going to have it, no doubt about it. They're going to do the pay per view. For sure. Well, this is my proposal. You can do the pay-per-view, uh, and 
I think a lot of people are forgetting out there that there's a lot of people still working <laughs> in businesses all over the world. Like, not everybody's stuck at home. There are Correct. businesses out there that still need to operate. And uh, AEW is doing what my business that I'm still going to every day for work is doing similar similarly. Now, are these things essential businesses? Well, it's either you make your money and you pay your bills or not. So there are, you know, there's that give-take feel to everything. So if they have to do this, and they really, really want to, because at the end of the day, I can have my opinion over whether they should or shouldn't do it. It's up to them if they want to do it, and it's if it's the right call. The same goes for WWE. Uh, the difference being that I think AEW should do what they did uh, just like this, is, you know, pre-tape six weeks in advance. A lot can happen in between that time, and then you can make your decision when that time frame comes. And you can you can go into quarantine your, you know, 10 to 14 days prior to taping to make sure every everyone's healthy. And then you can do kind of what the Ice Ribbon are doing, is then you can have everyone, you know, hanging out next to each other. You don't need the sick space if you've been quarantined prior, right? So my mm-hmm. proposal is uh, you do your next set you do your next set of tapings right before and after May twenty third, right then and there. Right? Follow me so far? Sure. Yeah. And you can have it in Daly's place or in Georgia or whatever. You get the whole, you get as many people on the roster as you possibly can that are comfortable with going, right? And if mm-hmm. everyone's quarantined and safe prior, then you can have everybody on the roster in the audience cheering and booing so it, it'll come across as much as an actual audience as, as it possibly can. Mm-hmm. I think that would be... Well, like they did at the beginning. That's that's exactly yeah. what they did at the beginning of all of this when, you know, there you were only allowed so many people in in a group. Right. So, um, yeah, it's, it's still going to come down to, uh, what amount of people are allowed in a group? Uh, how many, how many feel safe enough to be a part of that group? So, um, one way or another, it's still going to happen. Yeah. That's bottom line. Well, however they want to do it, it doesn't matter. It to be seen. I just hope they won't charge yeah. uh, sixty dollars for this thing in the United uh, States. Probably, yeah. I, I can't see that happening. But again, it's I not up to AEW. It's audience. up to Bleacher Report. No. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, the Bubbly Bunch segment was followed after that uh, tirade of conversation, which is hysterical because it should be it's it's the Bubbly Bubbly Brady Bunch is what they are. Well, that's exactly what they're doing. <laughs> I know. I call them the bubbly Brady Bunch. That's great. And they don't have enough members of the inner circle to make up the whole Brady Bunch, so they got, like, Jericho's right. three dogs, dogs and a picture of the bubbly. The two dogs. <laughs> the two dogs and the bubbly. Yeah. It's, this was my favorite thing on the night easily, by far. Uh, yes. So they're all at their various homes, and they're in a video hangout uh, via phone, right? And they're all talking to each yeah. other FaceTime style. And I love how the fact that there's also a camera set up in their homes <laughs> so you can see them uh-huh. FaceTiming on the phone. Uh-huh. Uh, so Ortiz, is, right. Ortiz <laughs> is hanging out with a bunch of stuffed animals, which is really funny. Sammy's working out, 
Like, he's punching the bag, he's lifting weights. <laughs> uh, Sammy's claiming the Bucks have stolen his stuff. I don't know what those are. Uh, he's upset with Hardy, Hardy calling him a fake Latino. Uh, Hager's outside chilling by his pool with his kids. And uh, he tells his kids to earmuffs. <laughs> As right. he swears, he's like, I'm gonna beat the shit out of Moxley. Beat the fuck out right. of this guy. And then uh, right. Jericho all agrees. And Jericho's cooking an egg <laughs> in, like... A ridiculous leather outfit and his gloves and he pours orange juice and misses the glass and then it camera cuts and the orange juice is totally cleaned up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and, and, uh, you know, um, Jericho obviously isn't anybody who should be near a pan because Anyone who knows cooking knows that you don't use a metal spatula on Teflon. <laughs> You're not the first person that's pointed that out. It's <laughs> great. But I, I did like his uh, cry to the assistant that he still doesn't have any toilet paper. Yeah. It's <laughs> great. That was great. Yeah. No more toilet paper. <laughs> and what's, what's great about uh, this bubbly bunch thing is it's all in character of the inner circle they haven't once not already told you that the this group are ridiculous and they're dickheads right Mm -hmm. so them doing these goofy things totally fits Mm -hmm. with the characters they've established oh totally Yeah. yeah uh sammy guevara defeats uh uh sugar dunkerton Shug D. Uh, all while Chris Jericho and Tony Schiavone are arguing with each other how to properly pronounce Sugar Dunkington's name. They're like, Sugi D? Sug D? <laughs> it's great. <laughs> poor Pineapple Pete Pine- didn't stand yeah, a... Pineapple yeah, poor Pineapple Pete, Pete, Pete didn't oh stand a chance God. in this match. He got, he got clocked. No. So. Yeah. I call him... Uh, Sammy Guevara is now the Spanish numb nut. <laughs> The Spanish numb nut from Katy, Texas. Uh, I do yes. like Sammy's finisher he's pulling off here, uh, so that he doesn't do a six thirty every match. He's doing a burning hammer mm-hmm. into a GTS. So that's he's got the guy into a torture rack position, Lex Luger style. And then he flips mm-hmm. the guy over and knead uh, a face all in one motion. He did it against Kenny Omega, but Kenny like got his hands up during that moment, and that's how he's able to counter it when they faced each other. Uh, Kip Sabian defeats Chuck Taylor in a 10-minute match. Uh, goofy fun, double sexy distraction of Ford and then Cassidy followed. Uh, I really laughed when Cassidy got on the apron for the sexy distraction, and he puts his uh, finger up to his mouth to do the the kind of look at me, big boy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And and Kip Sabian's like, what is going on here? (laughs) I thought that was a fun match. I I liked Penelope's move and Havoc's. Yeah, it's great. Well, Havoc uh, did jump the rail and took out Cassidy upon the sexy distraction, yeah. aligning himself with fellow perfect. British Britishman Kip Sabian. Uh, builds up versus Cassidy, which is the following week, and uh, basically the group mm-hmm. versus the best friends. So a little mid-card rivalry there. I'm all for it, and we get a nice little group yeah. uh, together here. Uh, and if there's one thing we've learned about a Kip Sabian Penelope Ford match is there will be interference hijinks. Mm-hmm. You will expect it. 
Sean Spears defeats Justin Law in a two-minute squash match, but, but, this was something straight out of, like, NWA studio television, where Sean Spears comes out, he looks at this just jobber in the ring, he looks him up and up and down, he smiles and laughs, shakes his head, he's like, oh, God, this joke, this joker over here. <laughs> Gets on all fours. Well, was that, that wasn't even a match. It was, it was for Heartless against the newbie. Yeah, well, I mean, he got his win back. He, uh, you know, he got he has to reestablish himself after losing to Cody the previous week. Fair enough. It's fine. Mm-hmm. It, it filled some time, and I got a good laugh at mm-hmm. Sean Spears being a cocky heel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and then we got our AEW World Title match: No Holds Barred. Uh, back at Daly's place, empty arena style, very empty arena, just nobody's there except them and the referee and JR on commentary. So, JR being uh, a serious comment- uh, play-by-play commentator, so no Jericho and Skiavone for this match. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 30 minutes and 46 seconds this, this sucker was. I think it went through three commercials as well. Yes, it did. Yeah. So now, thoughts. I thought that it it was a, a long time, and I didn't think it needed to be so long. Um, but you get to, did get to hear a lot of grunting, groaning, and uh, seeing a lot of sweating, so that was good. <laughs> um, I, I love the sound, being able you know to hear it. Um. You know, Hager uh, was having a field day against Moxley. Um, and actually finally being able to see something out of Hager. Mm-hmm. I think it was definitely um, Hager's best showing I've seen from him in years. Yeah, but I, I, I wasn't liking uh, Moxley looking weak and kind of uh, lame. It was kind of a lame ending. Um I thought it was uh, all to me. I've I felt it was a weak match, and then not really feeling the the no holds bar feel that mm-hmm. that I was expecting. Um, I guess I was expecting more more uh, more physicality. Oh, there was definitely physicality. I, I I just I don't know. There was something missing with it. I just I I wasn't feeling it. But like I, the energy out of Moxley and Hager. I mean, you're hearing the grunting and groaning and all that. But um, to me, I just I I felt there could have been more. Well, they with all of that time, um, I think there could have been more. But it kind of goes with the evening. It was a, it was just a, a really um, different feeling the whole night mm-hmm. with all of the uh, uh, matches. Sure. So um, when you got to this, uh, I was hoping the energy level would be higher, but it was not. And so it kind of, um, to me, it was a little bit of a letdown. Um, and I would have liked, yes, I saw more out of Hager than I have in the past, but, um, I still would have liked to seen, um, more out of Moxley too. I don't think the, um, energy out of Moxley was at its, uh, best. So that's my opinion. Okay. Uh, I think 
This reminded me a lot of what you would see out of uh, Josh Barnett's Bloodsport, where they're trying to blur the lines of MMA uh, shoot fighting and wrestling. Okay? Because mm. the whole first mm-hmm. big portion of this match was them exchanging real grappling holds uh, to mm-hmm. each other, which was fair game. Uh and then they brawled outside, which I think went entirely too long. I did like the Bret Hart spot of doing the uh, figure four in the railing. That was cool. Mm-hmm. But uh, a lot of that portion of the match lost me. And when they got back in the ring and started uh, doing the more stiff shots, uh, Japanese strong style, style, uh, that's when it kind of pulled me back. The problem was... The flow just wasn't there. It never reached a a good level with me. See? That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, They were definitely trying something new, which I appreciated. Uh, I think what would have brought this together was take the ropes away. If you're going to do something like Bloodsport and try to make this match uh, more legitimate, as they were trying to advertise, uh, take those ropes away. You still have the ring, and you can still do the brawl brawl outside, but just take those ropes away. Mm. And I think I think uh, bringing more elements mm. like that into it and yeah, no hold, no hold spar, right? Right, exactly. Uh, yeah, that gotcha. would have that would have done something a lot more. Uh-huh. Uh, made you keep yeah. it, it would have kept your interest level in it. Now that being said, thirty minutes is entirely too long for a match like this. If you're going to fight someone, it's not going to be thirty minutes. So 15 mm-hmm. tops, I think, is what this should have been. Because uh, mm. just just like with a lot of these empty arena matches, you got to be fucking awesome if you're going to go over mm-hmm. 12, 15 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. I don't care if it's a, a title match. You know, you got to make it a big deal. I get it. But 30 minutes was way too long, and that is what lost me the most uh, of anything in this entirety. So yeah. uh, there's only been, I think, one match that has lasted that long that kept me interested, and that was Omega versus Sammy Guevara, just because they were so good. Um, so I think this is a match not that, that was a failure. It didn't live up to uh, the tremendous advertising that they were doing it. It doesn't shock me that Moxley and Hager put out a stinker like this <laughs> being who they are and what they do in the ring. Right. Uh, they did try their hardest and they were extremely stiff in the match. That didn't go unnoticed. Uh, ha, 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 ha. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. it's just a real shame that this is what ended up uh, being produced out of it. Yeah. But again, that being yeah. said, they did not false advertise. You got exactly what you paid for. Uh, for what they were going for, and I think these, two, yeah. I think I, I truly think that these two are happy with their performance because of how uh-huh. hard they worked. Just didn't work on TV. <laughs> uh, yeah, right, right. Uh, and I'm gonna play Agreed. Darby Allen so we can get to April twenty second. Sure. There you go. Darby Allen's I Fell. I like his intro intro music. It sets him apart from everybody. As it should. April 22nd, Dynamite number 29. K 
Cody, your favorite wrestler mom, <laughs> opens up this week, uh, sitting in a gaming oh chair in the God. back cave or something. Right. What should we do? He's, uh, what do you think? yeah, he's breaking down the TNT tournament, something <laughs> weird or another. He's talking about all the wrestlers that are still in it, uh, who's going to move on to the next round. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I mean, when Cody speaks, I'm just like, eh, I'm not really into it lately. Uh, this one came across, I mean, it was a neat little presentation. I'm just not into Cody. Ever since he got that neck tattoo, I just can't take him seriously at all. I can't do it. <laughs> Come on now. There's nothing you can do about it. The man has has mental problems. Oh, and, um, <laughs> and, you know, he did something that he will uh, have to live with the rest of his life. <laughs> And um, you know, he I, there's plenty of pe- there's plenty of people out there that have those lovely tattoos on their necks and and they like it, you know. So um, he he's all he's all he's the all American uh, Flash Gordon Cody, you know, <laughs> with some weird ass face on the the. Red, white, and blue. I don't know. Yeah, well, it's the nightmare logo, as he calls uh, it. Anyways, he did say something oh, about it's like, the nightmare logo. yeah, not being complacent. Okay. Which I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I understand. And not being, he doesn't want to stay in the mid card. He wants to stay relevant. I'm like, oh, well, at least you have your goals. Uh, at some point in the, sh- <laughs> at some point in the show, they showed Dustin uh, calling Cody in his office on the phone, demands he puts his career on the line versus Kip Sabian tonight. I've said this before. I've said it again. I said this uh, when Cody put his I will never challenge for the world title ever again career on the line Mm -hmm. uh, Mm and the world title. I hate these stipulations, especially this one in particular, because it it felt out of nowhere. Where Dustin's like, man, if I don't beat Kip, I'm going to retire. I mean, I mean, I, I, I like that you're putting a stipulation on it, just not this one. Uh huh. It, it, yeah. it just gets too over the top, and no, not for one second did I believe then Dustin was losing this match. Right, and you know now if if he were going up against Lance Archer, I'd say kiss your ass goodbye, Dustin. See you later. Right, even then, I, well, I mean, he didn't say his career was going to be on the line in the second round. It was just this particular match. Yeah, which is stupid. What did come across to me successfully, though, is how much winning the tournament means to Dustin. Uh, he wants the TNT title. Uh, so I could see a lot of people kind of now being of the mind, well, clearly they're going for Dustin versus Cody 2 uh, for the tournament finals. So now they've built up two storylines in the tournament as well as uh, a third one with the whole Cody... Uh, Darby Allen feud going for their third match so, against each other. So you think it's going to be Cody Dustin for the final championship? No, but there are people that are believing that it could be possible, which means it's good booking because now uh, you've thrown in all four people that are left in this tournament, spoiler, uh, mm-hmm. 
have a legitimate <laughs> chance to win the TNT title. Yeah. Which I really like. Right. I still think it's Lance Archer versus Cody because that was the very first thing that they built up from the start, even before TNT wa- title was announced as a thing. Uh-huh. So I'm sticking yeah. with my my gut. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Cody's number one in the rankings now, by the way. The big loser? Well, not losing enough, as it seems. I guess not. <laughs> TNT title tournament first round match. Darby Allen versus Sammy Guevara goes 11 minutes. Darby wins via The Last Supper, which... I love this match. I wish it was the main event. It was really good. It was excellent. It should have been the main event. It should have been... It should have been uh, Sabian Rhodes and Whoa. then Guevara Darby Allen as the main event. But uh, they didn't ask me. Yeah, they didn't ask <laughs> us. Uh, but nonetheless, this was a fantastic match. I absolutely loved it. I loved Darby Allen working over the uh, boots and ankle of Sammy Guevara. Oh, that was great. Even going as far <laughs> as taking it off so he can get an even bigger it. heel hook in. He went yep. to town. Uh, I mean, let's not gloss over the fact that Sammy Guevara jumped Darby Allen before the match and set up a ladder right. ringside and splashed right. off it, just killing right. themselves. Yep. And uh, also must note that Dad watched this episode of AEW, and two wrestlers stood out him uh, stood out to him the most on the show, and then one promo. I had you guess. And Jay guessed <laughs> completely right. Darby Allen and Kenny Omega stood out to him the most. He really yep. liked Darby Allen. And then he really got a kick out of the Matt Hardy promo we'll get to. That was a good promo. Because yeah. I, I, I got to watch this whole thing again for the second time, which I do like watching for the second time. Because you miss things, you know. It's like watching a movie for the second right. time. There's other things you can watch that you didn't see the first time watching. So, um, but I watching it the second time, I, I really did enjoy, uh, Matt Hardy. <laughs> He's my fave. I can't wait to see him wrestle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, it's going to be goofy. Come on, come on, wherever you are, Dor- <laughs> Mr. Matt Hardy. <laughs> yeah. So Darby Allen's last supper is that cross-legged, uh, he he he, uh, he crosses the legs, then he leaps over and uh, pins you what um, Tsukasa Fujimoto What's does. Oh well, yeah, uh, it, it's it's uh, the Venus flytrap uh, pin that Tsukasa Fujimoto does in Ice Ribbon, uh, but Darby uh-huh. puts a spin on it by kind of leaping over you, uh-huh. kind of cinches it in even more. It's it's really cool. I love it, and the fact that he worked over the ankle and foot played into that finisher even more. I love this match. It was a big, big two thumbs up for me. Yeah. Well, and, and, uh, it, it was a, it was a, so before we had the, the, uh, head cutting, you know, it seemed like every week somebody was getting their forehead cut. Right. (laughs) Right. Now, now, now it's the nose thing. <laughs> now we got, we got Britt Baker with the nose. We got Darby Allen with the bloody nose. And then, um, yeah, he got stiffed. Who else? 
Huh? Yeah, you got stiffed once, yeah. Yeah. So um, we we got a couple more coming up. <laughs> Bloody noses. <laughs> Telling you, it's going to be the broken nose uh, segments coming yeah. up. Uh, all right, so let's speed this up a little bit because it's a lot of um, shorter matches and a lot of uh, segments on this, which if you're going to have this empty arena format, these segments uh, are really cool, uh, get you further invested in some sort of backgrounds. Uh, it's a good opportunity to, yeah. to uh, get more information on the wrestlers, which is what they did in this episode, and it really appealed to me. Uh, so to the hardy compound with Matt... Damascus, Matt has laid out a challenge to Le Champion to come to the compound to do battle. The whole of the ass. Whole of the ass, Chris Jericho hasn't <laughs> responded. And all he saw was the bubbly bunch. Sammy Guevara called him out, the false Spanish god. So he invites Sammy to the compound to fight and to fight Jericho's battle for him, where he will be deleted. <laughs> Jericho doesn't know how to handle his broken brilliance. So Matt turns into mortal Matt Hardy so he can discuss his relationship with Chris Jericho. He so he so he uh turns into his South Carolina Matt Hardy. He's with the elite. They're good friends and Jericho was angry. Jericho wants to create chaos and return to the top. He can't allow this to happen because AEW is about the future. So send Sammy Guevara if you want, and he will kick his ass until he gets to Jericho. <laughs> Jericho was not pleased with this information, as we found out. So we're getting a built-up Matt Hardy compound match of Sammy versus Matt Hardy, it seems. Before we get to Jericho. I love it. Very much excited. Who's Hardy going to fight first? Sammy Guevara, the false Spanish god, as he claims. Oh, okay. Well, good. I can't wait to see it. Uh, He's going to delete. Delete. <laughs> Emphasis Yeet. on the L. <laughs> <laughs> Taz breaks down Kenny's Snapdragon and V-Trigger, really put, putting those two moves over. Again, like these little videos. Then we get yep. Kenny Omega defeating Alan Angels, a QT Marshall student, as it seems. Another one. This QT Marshall seems yeah, to be boy. a pretty good trainer. Yeah, boy. Match goes 6 minutes and 19 seconds, and through Twitter and the online marquee community, I'm sorry, wrestling customer community into, that's what I'm going to refer to him now as, uh, uh, into a frenzy because Omega took too long to defeat this Allen Angels. Big talk of the town among these wrestling customers online. I thought it was a, a pretty good match for the newbie. Um, he... He had some good moves. Um, I, I liked his little uh, curtain pull out from under yeah, the, Omega. The, the, kinda, uh, yeah. apron got mis yeah, um, the apron. misplaced, and Omega walked on it. Got got slipped on a banana peel, yeah. and yeah, he got his moves in. It was fine. I liked it. Yeah, I yeah, I mean, really like uh, of course Omega's. Omega yeah, of course Omega's not going to let the the new guy win i mean that would just be ridiculous right right so you know i mean it is all right um no big deal yeah he won with the v trigger but, need the piss out of the dude yeah as soon as he hit that snapdragon that that was that was it right alan yeah. angels was done 
uh, we get an excellent Scorpio Sky profile picture, breaking down his tough road into professional wrestling, which is something he always wanted. His mom was supportive. He suffered a back injury, and then just one day he woke up and was recovered. Just, I, I really like that. His mom is dead. Well, yeah. Uh, he got a lot of chances, but he was never signed. He had, he wanted a sign from his mom is what he was yeah. looking for. And then his, his back supposedly healed and whatever. Yeah, that was a sign for him. Uh, he you kept know. trying, yeah. no, he may so, fail. Yeah. He went on to say in 2017, uh, SoCal Uncensored was form, formed, and that is what cued right. his big chance to be continued. Excellent. Right. Excellent promo work. Yeah, that was a nice little promo for him. Scorpio Sky, 37 years old. Uh, he's been in the business forever, as it's as it as it turns out. Uh, he did miss a lot of years because, well, he used to be in MMA, I believe. Um, so if they're going to make a new star, this is definitely how you do it. Uh, I would love for Scorpio Sky to get the first opportunity at the TNT title and win. Hmm. Maybe even the mm. second or third, where he has to be built up to it a little bit more. But he needs yeah, to. I think so. He would be a perfect guy. I know he's thirty-seven. That's a little old uh, right now when you can put over a lot of the younger guys. But AEW is a new company still, and they need more stars, uh, especially with a second title coming into play. And mm-hmm. to me, the TNT title speaks for a guy like Scorpio Sky. He's not high profile enough for the world title, mm-hmm. uh, but he can do the workhorse things and be a real good semi-main guy with the TNT title. It's my opinion on that. Yeah, I like your opinion. They recapped BTE 200, which was a lot of fun. Spoke about that already. Orange Cassidy defeats Jimmy Havoc, nine minutes. Uh, Havoc basically beat the shit out of the guy for a while, and Orange Cassidy then made a comeback. There was interference. Blah, blah, blah. And Cassidy does end up winning. Havoc jumps his ass uh, post-match. This uh, sets up a promo. I'm getting bored with Orange Cassidy and his nonsense. Oh, come on. I'm getting bored. I'm getting bored with him. He's not impressing me at all. Oh, it was the second match. Layoff. He's boring. Oh, he's boring. you don't know what you're talking about. Havoc was... Havoc was having much more fun. Oh, you're becoming a Havoc fan. Okay. You like his blood drinking. <laughs> sure. Well, he doesn't... He's not doing that in this yet. Not yet. We get a health update on MJF. So MJF was doing some Twitter posts. Get a hangnail. He was doing some Twitter posts where he felt uh, <laughs> mentally drained. Uh, he's He suffered a, a horrible injury. More he, he, The fans deserve more. He made all these wrestling customers on Twitter uh, fall for it hook, line, and sinker because then we get the update. He's dealing with something big. It's depressing. The fact that he hasn't wrestled on TV. He hasn't been here because of his last appearance. He suffered a serious injury while throwing his cash, and he got a hangnail. But he gambled through to the end of the show. It became life-threatening. He will rise from the ashes like a phoenix and eventually win the world title. I died. <laughs> it's great. Oh my god. He's in god. a full sling, his pinky is all casted up. It's great. Reminded me of Scott now, Steiner all, injury all in ninety eight. All he had over it, he had he had a scarf like a his fingers had coronavirus or something. 
on his two fingers. That's what he had on his fingers. They weren't even taped up or nothing. Mom, are you he's saying are you saying that MJF is exacerbating this injury? Oh, he's a faker. I can't believe you would say such a thing. <laughs> you to insinuate MJF. this injury is nothing more than minor is is insulting. Uh, Wardlow kills Lee Johnson in two minutes. Uh, this was a circumstance of a squash match that uh, didn't really serve any purpose to me. Anyways, none. But I did like the audience. And I don't know if you heard the audience, but they were yelling, Wardlow is a girl. No, no, they were saying Wardlow's going to kill him. I didn't hear Oh, it. I thought... It was... I didn't hear the girl part. It's no, not what I I thought they were yelling, Wardlow's a girl. No. Wardlow's a girl. No. no? Wardlow's going to kill you. Oh. oh. I like Wardlow's a girl. Well, <laughs> it would be funny. Then we get a Brody Lee segment of the Dark Order, and I loved this segment. Loved it. You said you wanted to see. You, you said you wanted to see a little bit more out of Mr. Brody Lee, and I think we got it in these two segments and his match. Not all that impressed. Sorry, not all that impressed. Well, I just want to know. I want to know who his football star is. Well. His recruit. We get someone drinking as they get some bad news. You know, you just see his hand in a glass and he's he's online. Sees this football star, Heisman Trophy candidate, has reached Lowe's. And he finds the Dark Order website and asks for help. All capitals, by the way. Hmm. All caps. Brody Lee arrives. Oh, so you think it's Paige? No, 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 no. Oh. Meets with uh, this mystery man and he asks how tall the man is he says he's 6'2 and he's 240 how big this dude is he played college football some people have success handed to him but mr brody isn't afraid of success and he offers the power of the dark order the power of numbers to this man and gives him a mask as well as a home and a future it's nice to see the exalted one is now taking in these former xfl players <laughs> So you think it's a guy from Texas? What's that guy's name? The loser uh, who went to Cleveland? I no, it's it's not fucking Johnny Manziel. If that's what you're insinuating, <laughs> Jesus Christ! It would be funny. Oh my god! I think that would be awesome. Get him in the ring and beat the shit out I of that mean, little punk. That ass would dude. be funny, but it's not Johnny Manziel. <laughs> No, this is, uh, I know who it is already that was kind of spoiled to me. At first, I thought it was this Brock Lesnar-looking guy that they're recruiting. Uh, it still could be yeah. him, but I think it's this other guy. Uh, I won't spoil it for me. Uh, oh, but this okay. dude was jacked up. He is uh, ripped. So this could be a uh, super enforcer the Dark Order needs so they can start winning and stop being losers. It's an ongoing story. Okay. I like it. At least something is being done. To pr for progression. Uh, okay. Then Brody Lee kills this dude named Justin Law in two minutes. Finally, I get a... Uh, what I wanted was this discus clothesline to actually rip someone's head off. And I got that at least. So that was good. Well, I, w I think I would have liked to have seen uh, more of a an opponent against Brody Lee. Because Justin Law, I mean, come on. You know what? He, I think at this point we've seen enough. Uh, at, right now, it's like it's, we've seen enough squash it's like matches. Watching Marco stunt, you know. I mean, isn't Bro Brody Lee 
going against Marco Stunt next week. Yes, next week upon yeah. recording, uh, he'll be facing Marco Stunt, and I think after that, he needs to beat uh, Jungle Boy. If he's there, of course. Uh, but yeah. he needs a... He needs to have a good 10-minute match as his, after Marco Stunt. A good showing. He needs a good showing. None of the... No, no yeah, more of these he, squashes. Yeah, I mean, this is just stupid. I, I'm I'm bored with Brody Lee and his and his uh, blank blanky blank eyes. I like staring into the camera a lot. <laughs> yeah, like whatever. A killer. <laughs> it, you know, it, if you had dark eyeshadow or something, you know, make Ooh. it make his eyes look darker. Uh, they might look more intimidating. I mean, look at Lance Archer's eyes. I mean, he's got some freaking. He's scary. Well, that he's dude. the murder hawk monster or whatever. I yeah, and and he'd scare the shit out of me if I saw him coming <laughs> towards me. Brody Lee, on the other hand, eh, not so much. I will say, yeah. Lance Archer is super fun to watch live. Yeah, he's super fun to watch live. Uh, best friends cut a promo in the back. I love this so much. Uh, Trent is super upset as he voices oh, his displeasure. <laughs> uh, bear in mind, he just kind of he just kind of goes in a monotone voice. I'm very upset right now. I like Trent. Trent. Uh, Trent's going to be doing some stuff. I have a feeling. Oh yeah, uh, Chucky e. T exacerbates mm-hmm. it by saying, uh, "You won't like him when he's when Trent's crazy. He's very upset now, and when Trent gets upset, people die, baby." <laughs> <laughs> he just he goes crazy. <laughs> Love Chucky e. T. And then we get uh, ah, my headphone just fell out. Uh, we get the Bubbly Bunch. They're back for the second week in a row. They're back. Mom, Sammy Guevara is sad. Jake Hager lost. <laughs> he didn't win the title. What a surprise! Mm. Uh. Ortiz and his stuffed animals try to pep talk him. <laughs> it's like Hager's too powerful. He'll be back. Hager even goes, "I'll, I'll." Beat the shit out of Moxley the first chance I get. He's done, son. And then Jericho tell tell you know he's got the greatest idea. He's got to do a. He's got to be happy and dance. Sammy's not. He's like I don't know, man. He offers up hand sanitizer as a prize to to do a flim flam video. Come on, mom, let's flim flam. I love flim flam. <laughs> Sammy goes. Well, that's all you needed was the hand sanitizer. It's all the motivation he needed. So Flim Flam is a mock TikTok video that's been uh, uh, going viral online. It's the big new thing. Uh, a bunch of Japanese women have been doing it uh, as a thing online. So it's it's uh, it's pretty viral. So they all do their, their wacky dances. Again, totally in character. Uh, playing off last week. And Sammy goes wild. He shows off. He's doing flips and does his turns. And mm-hmm. Jericho gets mad. He's like, well, enjoy your hand sanitizer, Sammy. You show off. <laughs> <laughs> throws it at his phone and just falls to the ground. <laughs> it's great. I loved it. Totally. And then we got our main event. Dustin Rhodes defeats Kip Sabian. No shock there. 14 minutes. Match was solid, but you know, I didn't like the I didn't like the stipulation. I would have liked it more without it. Mm. Kip Sabian's so solid. Yeah, just if they would have just gone in and done their thing yeah about the other stuff i thought it was a mismatch myself well i mean for, six foot six dustin for, Rhodes against for kip to, yeah for kip to win it was it and to me it was kind of a slow match um 
there's nothing energy wise like uh, Guevara and Allen. Yeah, nothing. I, I mean, the energy level was just totally different. And I, uh, again, I would have liked to have seen the Guevara Allen as the main event for sure more so which you know and when we were watching it we were just we were shocked as shit that that was the first match of the night and going what well so they had they uh, they they kind of they did it Um, they kind of put themselves in a corner with that stipulation and then they had to introduce it on the show and uh which i appreciate if you're gonna do these stipulations or do something important, we 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 said, oh excuse me, we said this at the beginning of Dynamite. If you're gonna do things, whether it's on Twitter or whether it's on PTE or whether it's on Dark, you need to make sure that's on Dynamite for the match. And so they did do that here, and I give that a thumbs up. But because they did mm-hmm. that, this had to be the main event, unfortunately. Yeah, I'm. I'm just not a. I'm just not a fan of Dustin. He's he's too heavy footed to me. Um, he's an old man for me. <laughs> exactly. And you know when when they did the interview with him, he he looked tired. He had some serious bags. He needs that commercial with the, <laughs> you know that cream that you put under your sure. eyes to make that those big bags go away. <laughs> And the, the other thing that bothered me was, was were the counts from Aubrey that they were really slow this this match too. Um, like there there were a lot of times where Kip could have uh, definitely won against Dustin. Are you but saying she was a biased Aubrey, referee in this match? I'm afraid oh. so. Yeah. You know what? I yeah. agree with you. Poor Kip got screwed. I, I really think they, I think he did. I think it should have been Kip that one and uh, kicked Dustin's ass because uh, Vinyl Man should not have won this. Should not have won. Well, next week we have Dustin Rhodes taking on the Murder Hawk monster Lance Archer. Uh, I am looking right. forward to that match. That being said, uh, Cody yeah. versus Darby. I want Darby to win, but I still think Cody's would, winning for yeah. the Lance Archer. Cody. Unfortunately. I, I would have. I think the the a true match would have been uh, Darby Archer, but I'm I'm probably in agreement with you that it's probably going to be a, a Cody Archer, which ugh, uh, I you know I hope Archer wins if that's the case. Yes, uh, if they're going to do go through with Cody Archer, then Archer has to win, right? Yeah. And if, the, if I, you know if, if it's if it's a Cody Rhodes, Dustin Cody Dustin, I, I hope neither one of them win. They're <laughs> both. Oh my God! Stop the madness at that point. If it's Darby no. Archer, then you can flip a coin. I think that's the money match personally. That's my yeah, I, opinion I on it. I think the yeah. wrestling customers, uh, even the ones online, would vastly prefer Darby versus Lance. And then you can have anybody win, and you can create a feud then from there and get Scorpio Sky involved. I think there's. I mean, more Darby, to it. Darby, and Archer to me is a mismatch, you know, uh, because Archer is uh, so dominant. I mean, he's he's just a. Oh my God, he's a tough one to to uh, throw down. Well, but unfortunately, this uh, you want to hear a uh, a worry I have. I think Cody Rhodes is going to win because this is the only title he can, the only singles title in AEW he can conceivably win. Oh, God. 
Fuck. Well, I mean, if we're still doing, yeah. if we're still, no, I mean, yeah, yeah. Yep, if yep. we're still going for Gatekeeper Cody, where yeah. you beat him to win the prize, I'm okay mm-hmm. with that. I think that's a great role mm-hmm. for him, especially he's he's in the executive of AEW position. You don't yeah. want to piss off the wrestling customers, you know. Oh, well, you you're the owner of the company. Mm-hmm. You're just booking yourself into he's these things. He's such a big freaking loser, though, and he shouldn't win anything. I mean, if they continually, the this is what I this is what I'm very much okay with. He can win the TNT title eventually, right? I think him losing and him being built up to eventually win it, and then it's kind of his title. I'm okay mm-hmm. with that. Mm. Uh, I will. I won't be completely upset if he wins the tournament. I just think it's Lance Archer's time because he's new and he's a monster and I think they've built him up the strongest to take it. Well, I think it's Darby's time and he should win it. And that'd be okay as well. I don't think Dustin should win it though. Not for a second. (laughs) No. No. All right. All right. Well, we'll see. We'll see. So... My, uh, I'm giving the, I'm giving the stars for the April 15th match, three and a half stars to the, uh, Colt Cabana Lance Archer match. Cool. Cool. With the Sabian Chuck Taylor coming in for second with three stars. And then my, um, my last week, uh, big match win. Uh, for stars was definitely the Guevara Allen match. Those are my four stars for them to this week, this past week. Okay, TNT title round one. So that is the second four star match you've given Guevara Allen. Because I like Allen. Well, I I just like him. And who's your wrestler of the podcast? For, uh, for this, the for podcast, one. it would be, of course, Darby Allen. Darby Allen. Has he won it yet? He hasn't. This is your first Darby Allen of 2020. Whoa. Shocking. How shocking is that? For 2020? Yeah. I've been writing them all wow. down, Mom. Wow. The only one that has won twice is Hangman Adam Page. Wow. Yeah. And I I did read something that I uh, caught my eye. I was reading a little bit of uh, backstory on Moxley. Mm-hmm. And um, I didn't know that uh, Moxley actually has a three-year contract with AEW, but with an opt-out option after the first year. I didn't know about the opt-out option. I think he's sticking with it, though. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think it's safe to assume yeah, that. Yeah, but... but um, because he has been seen over at WWE. Oh, he's not. And he's not going back there. No chance. No, 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 no. But um, he does have have that opt out option. He did mm. sign a three year contract, but he can opt out after the first year. I thought that was interesting. That is an interesting um, deal. Little, yeah, yeah, interesting deal indeed. Okay, mom. Well, when you return, we'll be back for the New Japan retro section of New Japan through the 90s. Great. All right.
And now, it is the Joshi War section. It's very one-sided these days, considering Stardom is not running shows. Ice Ribbon, however, is still running shows, straight from the dojo. They started a YouTube uh, live stream, basically weekly, uh, the last few weeks. And now I have a special guest. I'm joined here from the beautiful, terrible city of San Diego, California. It's Eric from the Joshi Pod, of all things. Thank you so much for coming on to join my little fanfare here to talk some Ice Ribbon today. Oh, I, it's my pleasure. I'm surprised you asked me. I'm, I'm honored you asked me. Honored? You act like I'm some big shot in this podcast world. <laughs> <laughs> Bigger than me, so I appreciate it. <laughs> I don't know. You had uh, you had Mr. Jim Valley to immediately give your podcast more credibility than mine. <laughs> Jim's a good dude. <laughs> so who are you? What's your podcast about? And where can we all find you? I am Eric Howard. I am from beautiful San Diego, California. You can all be jealous of that. Uh, it's 75 degrees and beautiful outside today. Um, my podcast is called The Joshi Pod. Uh, every week I talk to somebody in the uh, Joshi wrestling community, uh, wrestlers, announcers, uh, journalists. Um, last week I had Maki Ito on the show, which was pretty huge for me. Uh, she did the entire interview in English. I've had people like Bull Nakano, Chris Wolf, um, Josh Barnett came on uh, an episode and talked about old school Joshi wrestling with me. And as you talked about Jim Valley, so uh, it, it's just my my way of introducing uh, more people to the world of Joshi wrestling through uh, directly from the people, not me giving my opinion. Don't mean a whole lot, I don't think, but uh, just hearing it from the, from the from the people themselves. You know, uh, I like just to ask the questions and sit back. And, and listen to them um, tell me their tales. You're doing God wor- God's work, my friend. Uh, <laughs> my personal podcasting flavor, I'm not uh, huge on wrestler interviews, but uh, I definitely listen to a bunch of your uh, podcast episodes, something that jumps out to me, uh, the Jim Valley ones. I was like, whoa, what the fuck is he doing there? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Maki Ito one I just listened to today at work. That was uh, very enjoyable. I learned, um, even though... Uh, she seemed like she was nervous at first, uh, especially speaking English. Uh, it seemed to she got into a comfort zone and uh, answered some tough questions that uh, being that someone uh, myself, whom has lived in a country uh, in, in languages I didn't understand at first, um, I can I can definitely understand uh, how tough answering some questions can be. And uh, that was a very good interview. I applaud you. I definitely applaud Maki Ito for, for going on. Uh, definitely everyone go out and listen to that. And the Bulgan Nakano episode. Uh, if if you were to choose one, I would recommend that one specifically. Yeah, that was a, that was an honor to, to sit with Bull for, I mean, we talked on the air. We recorded for about an hour and a half or so. And then we, we sat around for that hour and just shot the, the bull, <laughs> pun intended. Um, <laughs> I'm, now, I'm a, I'm a terrible at jokes. But Before uh, no, you went there, yeah, I required that you get your ass beat via nunchakus. Did this happen? <laughs> it did not. She put her arm around oh. me and gave me a big hug. We did not practice social distancing, and I was okay to make an exception for Bull Nakano. And uh, now she was just a lovely lady, and uh, she just hung out and, and chatted with me because she she knew that I traveled basically halfway around the world to just talk to her, and uh, she she treated me with uh, the 
the utmost respect and and uh it was a it was a more than i could have asked for it was such a pleasant experience so uh, i take it no dump matsumoto uh came in to stab you for taking away her kohai <laughs> i was waiting for a run-in i was waiting for somebody to come in right, and uh, right. a- or somebody to come in there and take me out okay that's uh that's a little um ajw classic right there something we all we, we we also do here on the red leaf retrocast it wouldn't be a retrocast without some retro anything but why are we here we're here to talk ice ribbon but i but first and foremost i have speed questions are you ready Uh-oh, i'm sorry yeah. i have to i have to rephrase that are you ready <laughs> let's do it all right top three favorite joshi wrestlers no tied no ties allowed I will uh, not allow this it's current wrestlers, right? Or it's all time? Yes, active. Active. Uh, Maki Ito. Uh, uh, I love Suzu Suzuki. And I love Mayu Iwatani. All right, I like those three. Cutest in the world. The next Infinity Champion. And uh, the one that's made out of rubber. Yes. <laughs> the rubber neck, Yes. <laughs> Favorite Joshi promotion? Right now it's Ice Ribbon. Oh, oh, my heart. <laughs> it changed. It you changes keep that often, up. Though. You keep that up. I might buy you dinner. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it changes often. It, it really does. Well, that's understandable. When did you start watching Ice Ribbon? Since we're here, and that's what we're going to talk about. You know, I started probably watching it two years ago, you know, kind of off and on. I tried, I, I'm trying and failing at trying to watch everything and I'm failing miserably mm-hmm. at it. So, um, but it's a tough promotion I, so, to keep up with. That's for sure. It is, but I got, I, I get really invested when I go to live shows and just a couple months ago now I went to a show at the dojo and I don't know, it's just as soon as I go to a show, I, I have a, a new um, appreciation for it and just uh, more emotionally invested in it. That's same thing happened when I went to stardom. Same thing happened when I went to seedling show. Same thing happened mm-hmm. when I went to the Tokyo Joshi pro show. But uh, yeah, the, the one of the last shows, uh, same with Gato move as well. So, but uh, I, I just went to uh, uh, the dojo a couple months ago and I don't know, I just fell in love with, the, uh, with it. And I fell in love with them and uh, I'm pretty hardcore ice ribbon right now. Well, I'm glad we're, I got you here to talk about this. Not, I don't meet many people that are big Ice Ribbon fans, but hopefully with this podcast, I have at least gotten a couple of people further into it. Uh, so let's get right into this. There's some new happenings in the Ice Ribbon world. Like I said, the uh, they're doing dojo shows. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of this, but the COVID-19 has kind of shut down wrestling. But there's still some promotions out there that pretty much have to run to stay in business. So... Uh, can kind of understand that and uh trying to see what a lot of these wrestling promotions what wrestlers are doing to make ends meet uh what they're trying to do to keep their name out there because uh, wrestling is a funny business where if you're cold you're cold when you're hot you're hot kind of situation there's it's really tough to find a, a middle ground so what ice ribbon has done is they finally decided to take uh take advantage of this youtube thing <laughs> <laughs> And they've started live streaming uh, dojo shows, uh, something that I believe they used to kind of do back in 2012. So it's, it's been a yesteryear since they've done any internet shows. And back then they used to have uh, an internet title, which uh, we'll get into in a second. That's very important. So now 
they they had their first attempt at uh, Ice Ribbon 1035 Empty Arena from Saitama. Shows are available free on their YouTube channel for a limited time, and then it's uploaded later to their Nico Pro channel. Uh, if you go to, uh, I believe it's Joshi... Ugh. If you Google it, there's a uh, Joshi website that can give you a nice little walkthrough on how to subscribe to Nico Pro, since that site is a pain in the ass. <laughs> to say yes, the yes it is. Um, so yeah, I say I say that because uh, this show in particular was their first try, and the frame rate was a total mess, and the single camera was also quite rough with the uh, not knowing how to zoom in and out. Um, again, the frame rate was very bad. Uh, eventually, they got kind of a handle on it, so bear in mind with that as we review this first show. Uh, there was a singles match of Mike Ozaki versus Satsuki Totoro. Uh, Mike torture rack slams the big Totoro, follows up with a mid-rope senton for the pin. Now, I've been very vocal on this podcast over my love for Mike Ozaki, but she's missing something. And to see her at the uh, the undercard just right after her Ribbon Mania match is quite um it's quite disappointing to me, but I can't say it's not without warranting if that makes any sense. What do you think about Mike Ozaki? Yeah, she's she is missing something. Um, I think she she's just I think there's a lot of really talented women at the very top of Ice Ribbon. You know, and if you're missing something, you're going to get left behind. And I think that's going to happen with her, unfortunately, until she finds something, you know, because the, the top of the card is, is pretty stacked right now. And uh, she's she's I hope she finds it because I like her. But, uh, yeah, she you're, you're right. But uh, putting uh, Totoro in the, the rack was pretty, uh, pretty impressive, though. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't Lex Luger style where she just slings her on the shoulders and, and gives her the rack. But uh, yeah, it was from the it was from the turnbuckle, and Totoro is uh, is not a small girl by any means. So it was it was quite impressive from that. Yeah, um, but you're right, you're right. She she is missing something, and I don't know. Give her time. I, I don't know. It, it's you'd like to say give him time, but I'll I will quit talking because yeah, I don't uh, I don't I don't know what to say. It is that she's missing to to give the magic words for for her to be able to find it. Well, I think the most telling was because um, I was very happy when she got that title shot, and when there was the press conference, and there was there was Maya Yukihi, big Maya fan. You're a big Maya fan. I know you are. You watch Heck Ice yeah. Ribbon. Everyone loves Maya. <laughs> <laughs> but there's Maya with with the title, and she looks like a diamond, right? Just oh, look at this star! Just screams at you like future Joshi wrestler of the year, right? You know, if it wasn't if it wasn't uh, Mayu Itani winning, Maya probably had a very good shot. And then next to her is Maiko Ozaki <laughs> in like I don't know what I she did not look like a star. She looked like someone who just got out of high school, <laughs> <laughs> like was still wearing the high school uh, uniform and all that with the goofy haircut and smile. I'm like, that's what you're missing. <laughs> That's that's my opinion, anyways. Yeah, I mean, she she she's because like Suzu is is starting to evolve to get to. We'll get to her later, I'm sure. But it, it, to look yes, being like a star, but but has not gotten to that level yet of even looking like potentially a star. You know that, that there's potential there for it. You know, so yeah, 
but I'm sure we'll get to Suzu later. Yes. Um, and I, and I bring this up a lot with Micah is cause I am a fan of her, but unfortunately the reality is a lot of wrestling has to do with appearance and how you carry yourself, whether that's in or even outside the ring. Look at Julia. She's a great example. Holy mm-hmm. shit. Does she carry herself like a star? Anyways, Akane Fujitub defeats uh, Tekla, uh, someone you've interviewed on your podcast. How did that interview go? I actually interviewed both of them on my podcast. Oh, that's right. Of course. I know this answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tekla stands but, uh, out to me uh, more than Akane Fujita. <laughs> uh, Tekla was fun. I, you know, I when I interviewed her i didn't really know who she was i, I hate to say this out loud but ah, I, well she's I, from the the dirty austrian underground with no ropes <laughs> <laughs> but i it was one of those things when i started to do the podcast i was trying to find just as many different people as i could find from as many different countries as i could find and it was she was like a facebook friend suggestion and i was like huh who, who's this and i just started researching her it's like oh she wrestled fries for me, so let me reach out to her. So uh, I reached out to her and, and spoke with her, and it was a fun chat. And uh, I got to hang out with her a little bit when I was in Japan a couple months ago too. And so it was a uh, nice to nice to see her. I have high hopes for her. Uh, she's very green. She has a long way to go, but um, she is she she does show uh, some promise. And uh, going up against the veteran Akane Fujita will. Uh, will only make you get better quicker. So my Akani interview, here's I'll tell you a funny story. So she out, she came to, she was in the States with Kikitaru and she drove down, <laughs> she was staying with him in, in Vegas and she came down to San Diego for a show and the show was at a strip club. <laughs> of course. Yeah. I mean, Kikitaro at a strip club in Vegas. I mean, yeah. no, that's, there's no story there. You know, it was in San Diego. They actually they actually drove from Vegas to San Diego to go to a strip club wrestling show. But, oh, but so Akane, who I'd never really met before, I just Facebook messaged her a little bit. So my one of my coworkers speaks Japanese. So we jump into my friend's car, and she and I are sitting in the back seat, and I'm interviewing her from the back seat of a car and translating for her and like literally like minutes after we got done with the interview she ran right inside and, and did a match inside of a strip club oh wow <laughs> i'm sure it was a hardcore match too with legos <laughs> it, it was it was she wrestled a guy named dirty ronald mcdonald so dirty ronald mcdonald yeah that's okay what you, that's what you need to know about the match <laughs> okay. no, she, she was she she was a she was a sweetheart too though they, they all are sweethearts but it was it was uh, nice to meet her and, and um I, I think that uh i'm gonna interview her, uh, interview her again in the future i think and it's just i don't know i, I really liked her and, and she's got aspirations to wrestle outside of japan more often so uh i'm I, i'm a fan of akane fujita that's a oh, person that would be really cool that would be really yeah. cool she's uh i've noticed she's um she's gotten to a little bit better shape recently she slimmed down she looks faster in the ring uh i don't know whether that's a lot of this uh this uh young blood coming up in ice ribbon that's uh keeping her on her toes but um over the last i want to say six months uh there's some visible at least movement improvement which uh as a fan because that's all i am at the end of the day a fan i really like it because i i like what uh fujita brings to brings to the table with with her experience and uh, she always has some sort of credibility that she brings as well yeah, and I mean, if she's got aspirations to wrestle outside of Japan, I mean, you've got to be really, really 
good to to get out. I mean, you used to say you got to be really good to get into Japan, but I mean, even to to get out of Japan, if you if your aspirations are to leave Japan, you have to be really, really good. Cream of the crop over here to to the states. Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. Um, just my own little personal. Uh, how do I how do I phrase this? Uh, conspiracy theory. I think ever since uh, Stardom uh, got bought out by Bushy Road and all those Stardom wrestlers started slimming down, looking fit AF, right, and they stepped up their game. I I think uh, Ice Ribbon has done the same. They've they've reacted to it in a in a positive manner. Yeah, and it just like as you said earlier, I mean, appearances is is very important in Joshi wrestling, um, more than it probably should be. But it really, it really is. You know, nowadays they, they all um, are expected to look like models or just you know makeup and done hair and stuff like that. You know, so um, you, you got to. I mean, if that's the, what the market is saying that they need to be, then she needs to uh, adjust to it as well. Well, not everyone needs to look like a model. You just got to look like a wrestler. At least that's how I see it. How the Japanese fan base, because that's who they cater to uh, first and foremost. Uh, that's what. If, if, hey, if that's what they want, that's what they want. It's not what I want. Mm-hmm. I, I want, I you know, I'll take Dump Matsumoto over an idle-looking girl every day. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm in love with Bull Nakano to this day, so. <laughs> and speaking of a Dump Matsumoto-looking character, Hiragi Kurumi is back uh, from uh, from injury, a long injury. She, she took on Yappy, and I got to give all the credit in the world to Yappy. She's stepped up her game, not just in the wrestling ring, but from the behind-the-scenes aspect of Ice Ribbon. Uh, she's now doing English commentary. She's doing English translations. Um, she's she's really getting uh, the international uh, reputation and word out for Ice Ribbon. I don't know if this was their plan with her from the start, or she took it upon herself. Either way, this has been a huge positive, and Yappy has been doing English commentary during these dojo shows, which is very, very helpful for someone who, who doesn't speak Japanese. And uh, when we get to the 19 title, the Juku title... Yeah, you can't say 19. You cannot. <laughs> it's very important. <laughs> uh, she made all the rules very clear. It's it's great. And, uh, she, and going up against Ragi Kurumi, a big, strong... Uh, very good um, Joshi wrestler, I think. Uh, she stands out differently, and uh, this was, again, kind of like the uh, the Tekla-Fujita match. Uh, young versus more of a veteran. Uh, it worked. I liked it. Of course, Yappy didn't win, but hey, she'll get her day, maybe. <laughs> no, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Yappy. I, I think the world of her, I, I think the world of people that... Uh... Uh, go out and uh, live their dreams and live their adventures and stuff. They they have the guts that I never had to go do. So um, Yappy is so <laughs> valuable to to people, um, Westerners who don't speak Japanese, like you said. She, uh, it's like her, and I. I mean, I, I reach out to her to ask her advice on on things sometimes, just to you know, kind of navigate these Joshi waters. And, and I'm offending people by saying this kind of stuff, you know, what, what do you think? What's your advice? So she's mm-hmm. been, uh, somebody I can, I've reached out to and she's kind of said, Hey, maybe you don't ask these kind of questions this way. Maybe you have, maybe, you know, we talk about, she, again, she's been super valuable to me. She doesn't have to do it for me, but she's, she's been kind enough to do it for me. But, uh, uh yeah. And, and like her and Aki from God, I mean, they are, are just so valuable to have something in your office that, 
speaks English or somebody in your organization mm-hmm. that speaks English, you know, uh, Mr. Haku over at DDT as well. You know, th- those people are just so valuable to to their, their company and to us too. We should really uh, appreciate them more, you know, for for giving us the the, the English content because we're the late ones. We don't speak Japanese. You know, we're not we're the ones that are not learning Japanese. They're the ones learning English. So, so um, I, I highly uh, appreciate what they do for us. So then we get to our main event, uh, Hamako Hoshi. <laughs> Okay, you cut it. You cut out a little bit there, but that's all right. We we understand. <laughs> Hamako Hoshi uh, and Suzu Suzuki—that's a team—versus Ibuki Hoshi and Maya Yukihi, another team. <laughs> so again, thanks uh, to Yappy's English commentary here, we found out that Maya has turned her back on Ice Ribbon. She's sporting new gear. She's joining up with the outsiders, Rima Yamashita and Ram Kaicho, to form Rebel X enemy it's mostly an attitude and a gear change as uh yappy in the next show uh that we're going to talk about explains this further and this is due to maya being fed up with the lack of urgency from the ice ribbon roster to step up to her which after over a year of holding this title yeah i might be a little fed up with the lack of competition too (laughs) (laughs) So Rina Yamashita might be my. What, I probably should have mentioned her in my favorite Joshi wrestlers. There's no, many, no, you can only re, you can remember I, the rule was only I, three. I know, I know. But her, <laughs> her, her, and Ron. I'm trying to get Ron on the show as well. Um, but uh, those three are. I mean, that's as good. That's as fun as it gets, right there. That three stars, three people that look like stars. That's a trio. Yeah, that's it, for sure. It, yeah, in that, in that faction. So they're they're a whole lot of fun. And um, Maya, I like that. I like her. You know, kind of. Getting a little pissy with, uh, can I say pissy on here? Absolutely. Dude, you can say whatever the fuck you want on this one. (laughs) I like her getting a little pissy with everybody else because uh, you kind of need that a little bit with the limited roster they're probably going to have, you know, during these shows like this, that it's kind of nice to have uh, a little pissy group together to to piss off everybody else. Well, if you ever do get Rom Kaicho on your podcast, you got to ask her, you got to ask her this question for me. You ready? You gotta get her to explain what the deal was with the money guns and the half-naked men that accompanied her to her, uh, accompanied her to the ring. I still don't understand, <laughs> but it's glorious. Yes, <laughs> she's been wrestling forever too. It's it's amazing that those videos I saw in, uh, with her and Riho just as, as children. You know, it's it's pretty awesome. It's pretty wild. Yeah. So. Uh, I assume this. Uh, I assume this new uh, change. Also, this is just speculation on my part. Uh, this has to do with Shuri's joint army coming in and uh, wrecking some shop. Uh, this all definitely happened on a show that wasn't aired, or I just completely missed it, uh, which is a huge bummer. I didn't see this turn. So I try my best to watch every single Ice Ribbon show there is. Uh, whether if this happened on ten thirty five. Uh, then that's the only one I could possibly think of. So, uh, thoughts on the overall Maya character change? Um, obviously, you, you agree with the group. It's pretty. It's pretty different trio. That's for sure. Uh, does the gear change match the new attitude? Do you think she needs to go more heel? Because um, I've been vocal about there needs to be more defined heels in Joshi wrestling. 
Yeah, everybody's kind of just everything in Joshi Wrestling. You know, they're, just, they're, they're all in the middle, basically. Um, I think the crowd has something to do with that. I think, you know, be, everybody being kind of in the middle. That er- mm-hmm. nobody, wa- nobody wants to boo anybody in, in Joshi Wrestling, you know? It's it's a weird thing, you know, that because uh, I, I like I said I went to a few different shows and yeah nobody wants to boo anybody they just want to cheer for everything and uh, I I agree with you 100 that it, it would be nice if you could have a heel but I don't know how you can have a heel right now so maybe starting with the the, the attitude she's changed with and and I don't know they're so cool though that they're so such cool heels that I don't see who's gonna boo them. Well, there's there's nobody in the crowd to boo anyway, so. <laughs> I mean, you can kind of do the Dragon Gate thing where uh, you get you get the heel group together, R.E.D., and then uh, everyone else in the entire dojo will boo them. So then the idea, in turn, is when the crowd returns, they will follow suit. That's the idea behind it. I feel. So so maybe they- with, maybe maybe with this new character change. And maybe with a more cocky attitude, and uh, maybe she gets a more defined, uh, at least heelish antics, whether it's the cockiness. Um, and if you're cool or not, hey, that that works, but there will be uh, someone booing. If you get the Joshi wrestlers booing her and her little group, maybe a crowd will come back and, and boo. Yeah, that's fair. Because I think that one thing helping the Joshi shows more than some of the guys shows right now is all the yelling and slamming of the mats and stuff like that that they're doing to... to liven up the action a little bit so that's uh, that's a fair, fair assessment i think oh man totoro on ringside she's she's sure she's her own crew out there yeah <laughs> she's she's very vocal but, it, but it's nice to see them just slamming the mat and, and the wrestlers you know they always yell anyway so i just think that adds something that, that the guys are, are missing right now that wwe yeah. is missing right now that AEW is missing right now with the, with the no audience show so i think joshi's kind of ahead of the game a little bit yeah, them being ringside does does make the difference. Um, just anybody in the crowd at all making some noise makes all the difference to me. Yeah. Yep. I agree. All right. So ten thirty six, uh, Tsukushi beats uh, Yappy in seven minutes. Uh, <laughs> kind of reminded me of the the Kenny Omega match that everyone freaked out about. How dare Tsukushi <laughs> let let Yappy get seven minutes on her? Oh, so much offense. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to state the obvious here. Sukushi is so good. <laughs> she is a defined heel right now in yeah. Ice Ribbon, and it's amazing. She's such a little jerk. <laughs> this four foot, like, nothing. Veteran, tiny, tag team champion. I mean, the best part was when the CMLL uh, women came in, and she talked all that shit to their face, and as soon as they stepped up and she looked up two feet, she hides behind Sukasa Fujimoto. She's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's amazing. Stomping on the hands. She's doing it to everybody now. She doesn't care. She'll even do it to the ref. Tsukushi, I'm saying, is my favorite to win the 19, the Juku title. I gotta She's, get that in my head. She has her, she has, she has her replica belts already. Yes, we'll get there too. <laughs> So I really enjoyed this. Another strong outing from Yappy, and of course, Tsukushi gets the win. Yeah, Yappy doesn't have a year of experience yet. I mean, she's almost to a year, I think, now, but she's she's improving leaps and bounds. You know, she's, when you wrestle people like Tsukushi, you can only get better, right? That's right. 
you wrestle the veterans, you get better faster. Yep. Uh, something the American indie scene is severely lacking, unfortunately, currently. Yes. So it's, uh, it's filled with comedy. Uh, anyways, Frank Sisters. That's uh, Fujita, Kurumi, and the returning Mochi Miyagi. <laughs> My God, I had, like, forgotten about her. She's been gone so long. A torn Achilles. <laughs> Jesus. That's an injury and a half. Edge had that injury, too, a long time ago. Yeah. Ooh. So uh, they defeat the team of, um, well, a random team, to say the least. Mati Uno, <laughs> Mayukihi, and Tekla <laughs> in 15 minutes. <laughs> fun match. Fun yeah. fun. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, all, all fun people. Uh, I, I think, like you said earlier, Tekla's improving. I think there's something there with her. Uh, she's, uh, I, I'm glad she got to stay cause she and I were talking about that when I was there, um, that she was not sure she was going to stay or go and they, they kept her on. So, uh, I'm happy they did that for her. And, uh, yeah, I'm a fan of Tekla and I'm a fan of Kiki, a fan of a lot of people, obviously, but, uh, <laughs> but no, it was a real fun match. And, uh, yeah, the, the Frank sisters, uh, should have won this match and they did win this match. Yep. And then we got our. Uh, two out of three falls match. Uh, we um, we didn't mention the fact uh, the I think we skipped right over it actually. Uh, the tag match from ten thirty five. Uh, Fujimoto and Sakushi beat uh, Mochi Miyagi and Risa Sara. Oh, so yeah. I'll just do this. Yeah, I'll just do this real quick. I did skip over it. Best part of the match was uh, when referee Miyoshirai uh, draws the line at heel Sakushi and Sukasa using her own baby stroller as a weapon. I died. <laughs> All the heel tactics and trying to cheat, that's okay, but as soon as you take her baby, baby stroller and try to use it as a chair, ah, no, 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 that doesn't fly with Neo Shirai. Uh, the match went to a time limit draw, and Fujimoto and Sarah go to competitive blows post-match. It ends with Tsukasa snap-marrying Sarah off of the apron. Cut to the two out of three falls match. And uh, this was Tale of Two Stories. Uh, story one was, I fucking loved it. <laughs> story two was, I didn't like the end. <laughs> Speaking of comedy. <laughs> Speaking of comedy. So I was very much anticipating this. Uh, saw it, I watched this at 5 a.m. Whenever it was that it aired uh, my time. Jeez, uh, that would be like 2 a.m. your time. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah. Well, I guess it's maybe a little bit more manageable now that I think about it. But... Uh, the way it works, uh, the two out of three falls, is they did uh, John Kimpo, rock, paper, scissors, uh, before the match. The winter, or the winter, the winner uh, basically draws an extra stipulation out of a box. And Yappy, again, doing an excellent job making the, the rules uh, clear to us foreigners, us gaijin. Uh, Risa Sarah? No. Fujimoto got the first, um, first win? No, no, no. I was right the first time. Risa Sarah got the first draw, and it, uh, it was a countout. Uh, and for those that aren't familiar with the Ice Ribbon, uh, they generally don't have uh, countouts in Ice Ribbon. So this was a countout, and instead of a 10 or 20 count, it was actually a 4 count, which immediately makes it very important to not be outside the ring. <laughs> <laughs> which I really, really loved. Uh so the extra stipulation is, of course, added to the uh, submission or pinfall normalcy. Uh, it ends with Tsukasi Fujimoto snap-marrying Risa Sarah uh, off the apron, 
callback to just their previous show, and she wins via countout. Uh, eventually, Sarah gets back in the ring. Uh, as Fujimoto drew the second stipulation, which was... Oh my god, I didn't write that down. It was 18 turns, right? 18 revolutions? Yeah. Yes. Uh, so, Risa Sarah takes advantage of that. Big swing. Gets the second fall. Yeah. And uh, then the third fall was determined by you can only pinfall if uh, double knee attack precedes it. Um, which is very specific. So again, advantage Risa Sarah, which but it made it a very interesting finish because they're both trying to nail each other with double knees, <laughs> and that's it. It was it was very good, very unique. Uh, unfortunately, the the uh, the match ends with an air raid crash off the apron, and this is really cool. So they have their hard camera, their only camera, and they're on the other side of the ring, uh, so you just see them disappear on the outside. And even yapping commentaries like, oh my god, are they okay? We don't have mats on that side of the ring. I don't know why you wouldn't. but <laughs> uh, So we're all worried. And then, just seemingly randomly, you start hearing the Star Wars music. And someone dressed in a Yoda mask uh, rises from the ashes <laughs> and gets in the ring. And then, I believe it was Haragi Kurumi wearing a mask that says, Corona on it, so she is the physical embodiment of the coronavirus <laughs> teaming up with Yoda. Sure. I believe that was Matsuya Uno, uh, dressed up as Yoda. Is George Lucas uh, is George Lucas the reason that Corona exists? <laughs> you know, maybe that's what they're trying to say. Conspiracy theory, let's start one. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's Bill Gates. <laughs> so yeah, then it just, like something straight out of WCW uh, in the 90s, I swear... It was just, okay, now it's Sukasa and Risa Sara teaming up against Corona and Yoda because comedy reasons. And then it, they they beat him, but the match ends in a draw. So I'm like, man, it was such a good match. Great stipulations. Just to get, I mean, I get it. You're trying to make comedy out of, you know, these situations. But I was like, man, I was so enjoying that. Am I alone on this? I thought it was all right. I mean, I... <laughs> Not all comedy is going to hit me a home run. <laughs> no, that's true. But I, I, I like them going, uh, doing something different. I, I like them trying, and and it's out of character for Ice Ribbon to do that. So uh, it's all right. I think it's okay. I mean, if this took place in Gato Move, I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's straight. That's something Emmy Sakura would think of. And well, it's Ice Ribbon, so maybe it's not too far fetched. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I liked it. it. It was fine. It's it's they're they're making the best out of a bad situation and throwing a little comedy in there too, and 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 doing that. So, I, but you have if you're going to watch this and be an English speaker, you have to have Yappy telling you what's going on because if not, you'll be completely lost. Well, she was completely lost. She was like, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. But even like the stipulations of the match and stuff, you know, it, without her, it's like, uh, it, it, try to figure it out on your own. You know, it's, it would be impossible. Oh, there was that There was that show uh, a month or so ago with the ladder match, and it was teams, but not teams, and then they were going. I was like, I don't know what's happening, but I guess I'm just in this for the entertainment. <laughs> yeah, that's why I used to go watch Lucha shows here in, in, in Tijuana and stuff, and like stuff would be going on, I'm like... It looks it looks awesome, but I don't know why they're doing this. You know what's happening, but <laughs> but yeah, they're jumping, they're they're having fun, they're doing whatever. But no, again, this is where Yappy's uh, super valuable. 
So post-match, Sarah and Fujimoto, along with the commentary, uh, introduce and announce the return of the Internet Wrestling Juku title, a.k.a. the 19 title, but big emphasis on pronouncing it Juku. Uh, the old title during empty arena dojo internet shows, which was previously retired in 2012. And uh, brilliant move by them. I've wanted a a second title in Ice Ribbon for quite some time. Uh, to bring back this title specifically, a title that has been in the promo- promotion before. It's unique. It serves a purpose. Uh, I love it. it it's perfect for these dojo shows they're putting on right now, it, to me, as a fan of Ice Ribbon, and even if I was a new fan, this is something that draws in new viewers. Uh, they announced a two-block, 12-person tournament to crown the champion uh, with its own interesting stipulations. So, uh, just skip right ahead to 1037, we get to the pre-show with Yappy, uh, and, of course, English commentary helps explain now the rules of the title and the tournament to follow, uh, along with the blo- with the contestants and the blocks. I want to uh, hear. I want to hear Howard Finkel read these like he did the Royal Rumble. All right, all right. I I, I will uh, I will do that for the block participants and the matches. How about that? <laughs> Perfect. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Howard Finkel. There, we miss you. So yes, uh, Bloss, um The rules. The rules of the title are: it's a. Uh, it's a Juku title, 19, which means it has a uh, count-out stipulation to it, which, again, isn't normal to Ice Ribbon, uh, so it has you have to get in by a 19 count. Um, and that's, ba- <laughs> that's, that's... And it must be defended kind of at these dojo shows. Uh, that's the basic of it, of it all. Uh, so she goes, um, the... Block A will consist of people that have fought for uh, the title in its era bef- uh, when it existed, and then Block B are all first-timers to the title. Uh, the winner of the three matches that take place in each block will move on to a triple threat match uh, to win the block, and then a singles match of the block winners to crown the champion. So now A block features participants in the IW Juku! Tournament in Block A, Tsukasa Fujimoto takes on Hamuku Hoshi. Risa Sara will take on Karumi Haragi. Tsukushi will defend her honor against the returning Mochi Miyagi. And in Block B features the newcomer's block for the IWJuku title. Tatsuki Totoro take on the foreigner Tekla. Maya All Belts Yukihi <laughs> defends against Joint Army member Uno Matsuya. And the young future Infinity title champion Suzu Suzuki, assuming she comes back from injury, <laughs> will take on Akane Fujita. Contestants, good luck. There you go. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. Ah, did my best. <laughs> I tried. So yes, uh, tournament B block match will start off this show. Satsuki Totoro uh, defeats Tekla in nine minutes. Um, solid. Satsuki Totoro stood out to me the most in this match just because of her crazed facial expressions. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, she she should have won. I mean, she. It, 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 
with the, the next round of the triple threat match, I mean, she should be the one in that triple threat match. It's probably too early for Tekla. So she's, she's got some uh, training to do and some getting better, but uh, the right person won that match. I agree. Uh, tag team match, Risa Sarah and Tsukasa Fujimoto are now teaming, <laughs> you know, with all their uh, match experience and uh, defeating the coronavirus and Yoda. I mean, they're, save, they're saving the world. They're, they're, they're saving the universe. That's right. Uh, they defeat Hamako Hoshi and Matsuya Uno. 15, a 15-minute 15 match. It went on quite a while. Tsukasa pins Uno via the Venus Clutch. Now, do you know it as the Venus Clutch or the Venus... Uh, uh, there's a, there's like two more names I've seen people call it. I call it the Venus Clutch. I'm, what do you call it? I'm a, a clutch guy as well. Okay, good. I'm not alone on this. I'm not crazy. No. Um, not about are the, you not about that at least. Now JPQ would approve of this comment and what we're about to talk about here. Do you approve of Matsi Uno's uh fashion change of going to the gi? Miss <laughs> uh, JPQ is Mr. Fashion, right? Oh, he he tries. <laughs> I've never seen him dress nicely, have you? I don't think he can. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I do like the gi. I think, <laughs> I think it sets a... Uh, we should see uh, JPQ in a gi as well. But, uh, <laughs> but I'd no, challenge I like him to a judo match just to see if he would do that. <laughs> He'll throw you, watch out. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't mind it either. I'd be like, I got you in that gi, didn't I? <laughs> Uh, no, I like it. I, th I think it's, it makes her stand out from from the other women, and, and just in general. Now, I mean, the, the women dress pretty similarly in, in quite a few of the companies now, so I think anything like that is uh, is a, a nice difference and a, and a little air of legitimacy as well. You know, of, uh, of a real badass. All right, uh, Tsukushi. Oh my God. Okay. IW Juku Title Tournament A Block Match. Tsukushi. Defeats Mochi Miyagi. 11 minutes, 15 seconds. Dude, I love this match. It was so all good. All my heart. It was amazing. One of the best Joshi matches of the year. I'm saying it right now. Yeah, like I said earlier, Sakushi's so good. Little Jerk is so good. <laughs> but uh, no, it was, it, was, it was a really fun match. Um, I wish more people would watch it just to see how good these were. With, with ice ribbon i mean people are so in love with stardom and stuff right now you know you know how it is mm -hmm. but i would yep. love i would love for people just to to tune into ice ribbon give it a shot and just see how how, how high quality the, the matches are this was excellent um i had forgotten that mochi miyagi uh does have it in her to reach a next level and as i'm watching this and as i was watching those couple tag matches i'm like all right she just came back from that Horrid Achilles injury. Uh, I think she had like an elbow injury before that too. Really bummer the last year, year and a half for her. And as I'm watching this match, and they brawl the, uh, you know, they have a nice little tussle to the outside. They do a little brawl, and then Sakushi just whips the piss out of her uh, towards the, the the sidewall, and Miyagi <laughs> stops her momentum. She's trying to stop by uh, kicking the wall, you know, and then and then bouncing back. But her foot just goes right through the drywall, just bang, and then you hear commentary just go, "Oh shit!" <laughs> and she just went and comes right back at Sakushi, and I'm like, "Ah, oh, she broke the walls down. Yes, it's right there." 
great. <laughs> Doesn't it look like the thinnest wall you've ever seen, though? <laughs> hey, that's okay. It, it looked, hey, I, I bought that more than uh, Kevin Nash getting thrown through the drywall on Nitro that I just yes. watched a couple weeks ago. <laughs> great. No, it was, yeah, they, I love stuff like that. I love, because in that place, you couldn't do that with fans in the crowd, I don't think, too well. Um, but it, it was kind of nice. They're going to use their full, uh, in other matches as well. Right. We talked about that. They're using the full, uh, dojo, uh, sides, all the, all different sides to, to put on an entertaining show. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I wrote down, uh, my favorite spot from, uh, each wrestler. Um, Miyagi's spot was, uh, hitting, uh, Sakushi with the throw out of a torture rack into the ropes. I thought she decapitated Sakushi. <laughs> thought it was glorious. And then Sakushi answered this right back, no more than a minute and a half later, where she, uh, drop kicks her head off into the ropes. That, that hole she's sitting down next oh, to the ropes. Yeah. Uh, that's, that, yeah. That, that is rough. I think she goes full to, vertical. I think she did that to Yappy too. <laughs> Their match. I don't know. This one looked way worse because uh, Miyagi's got a little bit more height, so she looks like she's a little bit sitting taller in those ropes. Then you yeah. just see her her body and neck just go. Oh no, my god! So the near falls at the end of this match, Eric, had such a sense of urgency. It's it's one of the best near fall exchanges I've seen all year, and that includes any promotion out there. You gotta see this near fall exchange at the end of the match. I wanted Mochi Miyagi to win this so bad uh, for multiple reasons. A, she's hot coming back after injury. She's looking damn good right here. Might have a lot to do with Sakushi because she's good herself. Regardless, Sakushi already has the tag titles and she already has credibility behind her. This this victory would have elevated Mochi Miyagi to that title contention spot coming right out off the injury. Kind of like how Hiragi Kurumi came back from injury and immediately made a mark in that just excellent singles match. I, as watching this, wanted to see Mochi Miyagi reach that level. And I was, at, you know, I became a, I'm not using the word mark anymore, I'm using the term wrestling customer. <laughs> I became such a big wrestling customer from Mochi Miyagi. I was so sad when Sakushi uh, pinned her with that, with that second Harukaze, I was like, man, I thought she had it because Mochi kicked out of of the uh, Denden Mushi and then countered the Harukaze attempt with her own wicked close near fall. I thought that won the match right there. <laughs> dude, I love your passion for this, dude. I really do. <laughs> <laughs> You're getting me excited right now sitting at my desk. So I want to go watch it again. <laughs> Dude, it was so no, good. Yeah, it, it was. It was really good, and and I, I, I looked at the blocks and kind of like was kind of dream booking it. And when I dream booked it in my head, Sakushi to win, but it it got to a point in the match where it's like, oh, it would be nice for 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 Mochi to to get the W. But yeah, my my dream booking had Sakashi going to the, the triple threat at the. Yeah, uh, after this, I'm like, man. My initial thought, Sakushi's going to win. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Make me wrong. <laughs> uh, no, but, but, but then, then Sakushi brought me back. People, 
people go out of your way to watch this match. You know, it's 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 on YouTube right now. Watch it. You know. Yeah, it's still there. It hasn't been taken down yet. Yeah. <laughs> so th- this was really good. Sakushi uh, wins with the second Harukoze to to just uh, to make my wrestling customer self very sad. <laughs> but then she brought me back by showing off a cardboard replica <laughs> of the future IW Juku title. She's like, yeah, I just made this myself because I'm going to win the title eventually anyways. I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> That's what I did when I was a kid too. I made cardboard belts. <laughs> so good like how was, how do you was, how do you bring just, the audience in i was as tall as her when i was a kid <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if i was four i don't know if i was 410 until seventh grade eighth grade night <laughs> it was a long time i never had a growth spurt. it was very it was a very sad time i should have been a heel on the basketball court now thinking back on it i didn't pull enough jerseys didn't stomp on enough toes and hands you didn't undercut anybody <laughs> I mean, I tried. I had to get. I had to work my way around my size somehow. And Sakushi, you know, maybe she's closer to my heart than I think now that I speak of this out loud. So yes, the the uh, this match is highly recommended. Uh, yeah, yes, I criticize the piss out of wrestling a lot. I'm very vocal with things that I dislike. I'm very vocal with things that I like. But to me, that at the end of the day, I'm a wrestling fan, and. Uh, I also care about what matters in wrestling to the wrestlers, whether that's ratings, whether that's them selling merchandise, whether that's a person coming back from injury that should have won this match that makes me very upset. Go and watch this match. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Go, go watch this. Go, go watch a bunch of Sakushi matches. I mean, you'll, you'll, fall, you'll hate her and fall in love with her at the same time. Oh, no doubt. I... I, I just like she reminds me of Riho in a lot of ways, but Tsukushi has twice the amount of charisma because uh, she can work both work both heel and face. Uh, Riho, uh, that's what's missing with she's a natural baby face, much like Kairi Hojo. Uh, the difference between the, those two and Riho is those two can also be a heel if the time comes. Uh, you do need that edge to your character. Suzu Suzuki has dropped the chin chin chirin thing that she was doing the the 17 year old idol gimmick that she was doing she's dropped that she's uh she's now a badass i don't know a, a mix between a, a ninja and a shadow warrior of some kind <laughs> but she's gonna take that title obviously suzu suzuki's on the rise i think she's gonna take the infinity title in her first well i guess technically second attempt but first attempt with the new character do you feel the same it's a little early for her still, I think. Um, I think that she's she's on the rise. I, I think uh, a year from now she'll be the top person in the company. So mm. I would. I, I'm a slow builder. I'm a slow builder. I, I love the slow build. I, I think it it um, it helps them in the longer run. I think. So I, I would probably hold off a little bit, but uh, yeah, I think uh, her time is going to come and she's going to be on top for as long as she wants to be. Okay. Follow up question then. In Dragon Gate, there's a wrestler by the name of Ben K. And in hindsight, I like the booking of how they handled a new up-and-coming star. They had him win the title off a very, very credible champion. Then, he had three defenses against uh, veterans that all have all had the title previously. And then on the fourth one, he lost. Now, 
how he's been booked since then is a different story. But, it wasn't a long reign. It was solid. It was short. And it got the point across that, yes, he's a he, he may not have been ready for the big spotlight, but he the the way uh, uh the way they kept him relevant during the title reign was super credible opponents. So then my follow up is, let's say Suzu wins <laughs> seventeen eight year eighteen years old. I always forget how old she actually is. She beats Maya immediate immediately credible right as a as a top person in the promotion. First defense, Tsukasa Fujimoto. Second defense, Risa Sara. Third defense, or fourth, this is where she loses it. Who does she lose it to? A Hiragi Kurumi? A Mochi Miyagi? A Tsukushi? Mm. Or do you think you don't you don't want to go that route at all? Stick with the with the uh, slow build. Wait till she's eighteen, nineteen years old. The Momo Watanabe age. <laughs> yeah, she's she's so young. And you don't want to use Momo as a reference right now, as far as where they they book her, <laughs> because I don't know. I, I don't think Momo's. Well, being... She had the big white. She had the white del- white title run. So where's she at now? <laughs> well, that's a different story, but. She did have the run. You can't take that away from her. Yeah, no, I agree. But I, I, when when Suzu gets that that run, I want it to be glorious because she's glorious, and she's. Uh, I, I I mean, I mentioned this whenever I talk about her on my podcast or whenever I tweet about Ice Ribbon. She's the future, and you you take your time to to build the future. You take your time to uh, for the right moment, and I, I wouldn't do it during the coronavirus, obviously. But uh, at the right time to build it up and, and have the big win over Maya, um, have Maya dominate right now. Have her be pissy and, and, and with her group and, and just mm. do- dominate the field. And then Suzu work her way through the Ram and the, the arena. And at the end, she topples Maya in a, in a big show and, and takes the title. So I think there's, there's some time to build with, with Suzu to, to go through some of the, uh, the stable mates of, of Maya and, and finally get that big win. Uh, on, on, at the right time. So let's say three, four, five, six months from now, fans come back. Do you pull the trigger then, or is that not enough time? No, I think you need to build. You need to build time with the fans there. You need to. to build, I see. Build, yeah, you, you need to, to do that with the fans there. I think they're they're almost in a, in a bit of a holding pattern right now. I mean, they're they're putting shows on, but I don't think they will. I, I wouldn't want to advance storylines a whole lot right now. I would kind of just, you know, have good matches and then put on your, your hour and a half for shows on YouTube. But, uh, you know, let, let, let her go through those people. I mean, I think Rena being the, the, the person, the gatekeeper for, for, for Maya to, you know, to get through, to get through Rena. I think that could be an amazing match. Um, so I, I would want her to win in front of crowds. I would want her to get the crowd behind her. And if they're going to boo Maya, having a super baby face like Suzu would, would help them uh, boo Maya. So, yeah, no, I, I think the, the sky's the limit for Suzu. I mean, I'd seen her on tape, and then I saw her live when I was over there at the dojo. And it's like, man, she, she passes the eye test. She's, she's going to be something special. And uh, that, that's oh, what you, I think. That, that, as soon as she got that character change... Yeah. Uh, and and the new gear and the and getting the dyed red hair in there with the with the black. Now she's got the it factor. It yeah. was like immediately noticeable. It's kind of like when Hanakamura 
uh, came back from Mexico after a big her big excursion and got the attitude. Mm-hmm. Bang! Like she was already a fan favorite, but coming back and getting that attitude change and the new gear and and getting her own, like it was just a star right there. Same thing with Julia when she showed up. You take care of those people. You don't. I don't think you rush those. You know. You you cultivate them. I I, I would keep her away from Maya uh, for as, as long as you could, um, and and make it make it mean something at the end. You know, make her big triumphant win at the end. You know, after vanquishing everybody in, in her way. So you're saying Maya still gets like a few more defenses in before she finally gets to Suzu after she's been built up. Yes. Some more. Okay. Yes. That that I can that I can get behind. It, just with the way they were going for it. I mean, before this all went down, Suzu was the next challenger. Yeah, and, and I don't agree with her book. <laughs> mm, okay. Because I don't want her to go against Maya and lose to Maya. I don't. I don't want that. So if 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 they know or if they think that they might not agree with us, they may not think Suzu's the person, but. If they think Suzu's the person, I think you you slowly build and get that giant win at the at your big show. All right, makes sense. Who do you see as? Uh, so we got Sakushi, we got Risa, Sarah, we got Maya, and we got Fujimoto. Can't say Suzu Suzuki. Who's that star that's missing to challenge at the top? Mm. In this moment. I like Sakushi. I'd like, I mean, I'd like to, for her to get a, a shot at it, but uh, probably Sukasa. And, and I'll say Sukasa. She's just old, reliable. She's she's really good in every match she's in. So uh, she's she's the. I don't know when I look. If I was an outsider just watching and, and saw them, I would say Maya and Sukasa are probably the two biggest stars just by appearance. And well, yes. And then then you you watch them in the ring as well, and they're both really good in the ring as well. So. I would say Sukasa, and I don't know. It, it's it's a whole philosophy thing. I mean, it, it's going to be kind of interesting to see how they come out after you know, or whenever shows start happening again with with fans in the crowd. It's it's going to be real interesting for every company, not just not just Ice Ribbon, to see what their philosophy is. Do they kind of hit a little bit of a reset, or do they just con- like mm-hmm. continue from where they were at before? It's it's going to be real interesting for all these companies to see what they decide to do. So I said back in January with the formation of Joint Army and Shuri uh, coming in, her role in stardom really puts this uh, theory of mine (laughs) on a back burner. However, I think with the Joint Army and what they're doing and building up Shuri, who she is, I think a, a huge turn, or at least for something that could hold off on Suzu until she's truly ready uh i think shuri can challenge for the belt and they can have kind of that rebel x enemy versus joint army uh faction battle as something to just be like a little internet story in between uh or you can get the drop kickers involved uh that's sukasa and sukushi uh get some three-way thing because that's a long-term story you could tell uh, and you can continue telling for as long as you see fit, because uh, as soon as fans come back, they've never seen it before. They've only seen it on the internet. Maybe, right? Not a lot of people watch YouTube live streams. 
But my, my question That's, for you, though, is, is that on these dojo shows, these, these no fan shows, I mean, are they going to bring people like Shuri in to, to do those shows? Or that's this kind of philosophy thing I'm thinking about, too. You know, it's like, is it bare meat and, meat and bones, you know, and, and to just bare minimums for these, these shows and only have the, the dojo wrestlers, the, the contracted wrestlers be on the shows? Or are they going to bring people in for, for some of these shows? I think a time will come uh, if this goes on long enough. Uh, where the uh, free agents uh, will need the work. Plain and simple. <laughs> then you got to think about uh, the whole political thing between Stardom and Ice Ribbon. They're, they're really big fans of each other. And... Oh. <laughs> no recent history at all, right? <laughs> but to see how they would handle, you know, if, if Rossi would let uh, Shuri go get pinned in Ice Ribbon or not, you know, so that, that's the whole... I hate thinking about that stuff, but it's it's real, you know. That to see no, it's it, certainly it's certainly a real thing, yeah. To see if they would allow that to happen or not. So yeah, I love Shuri too. Shuri, Shuri's awesome. She's that's she's, kind of she's, where I also go with the faction warfare thing. That way, someone else can always eat a pin. Yeah, that's true. That they can get, get in a match and then not get pinned. That's you're right. You're right. That is something I think Ice Ribbon can can capitalize on as well. Uh, Will they do it uh, in this in these dying times? I don't know, but uh, I think Mochi Miyagi is on the rise. I think uh, she's got a Tam Nakano type feel to her mm-hmm. within Ice Ribbon. Uh, it's she's she's uh, she's got that personality. She's got that look to her. Um, I saw great great stuff in the ring from her on on over these past uh, three weeks. Excellent stuff. Uh, I speak very highly of her now. Um, I think everyone in Ice Ribbon uh, has really stepped up their game, especially during these internet shows. Uh, something is clicking with the roster right now. Uh, I'm fully convinced they're living at the JoJo so they can stay in quarantine <laughs> full time. <laughs> not that that's much, probably not much different than Joshi life in general. Um, but it wouldn't shock me if they just said, yeah, they got beds like out back. <laughs> they're upstairs. <laughs> it but, really wouldn't shock me if someone just came out and said, "Yeah, that's what we're doing." <laughs> well, a question I a question I have for you: Do you okay. think that the the roster is deep enough right now to keep putting these shows and not having it get get stale? Yeah. Uh, well, the 19 title tournaments, uh, good. The Juku tournaments, mm-hmm. that's excellent. I think they could have stretched it out a lot longer. Might as well have done a G1 thing situation. Um, not that Ice Ribbon has much experience with that. Uh, but they could have done that. They've, they, they tried something at least for the time being where it's like one or two matches a show. So that'll get, that, that'll give them enough material for a while going forward. Uh, hopefully everything will be getting back to normal by that time because we know from what we've seen, Ice Ribbon is, uh, doesn't seem to be fearful of running shows with, with a crowd. Yeah, I think I might have gone to the, their last show or one of their last shows where they actually had a crowd. Yeah. They took my temperature before I went in the show, so it was, it was interesting. Yeah, they take it on your wrist or they got the gun where they just point it at your forehead and shake? Point it at my forehead, yeah. Yeah. What'd you get, an 89, a 93? No, I have no idea. They just said go inside. Oh. <laughs> See, they take my temperature at work and tell me I got like a 90 degree temperature. I'm like, so can I go home? I'm dead, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like half the people, they were trying to take the temperature up and it wasn't working. They're like, ah, just go in. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so safe. Yeah. My Jesus. 
<laughs> but yeah, no, yeah, I, I, I think, I think it's going to be interesting because, as you said, the free agents that are sitting on the sideline right now, they're they're eventually going to have to work, and it's it's going to be interesting to see is as far as I mean, because they have to pay the women to be on these shows, and what can Iserben pay to bring a, a Rina in or a Shuri in? when they're probably not making any money or very little money with uh, the dojo shows right now. So it's, it's a business reality as well. Kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Maybe, I mean, maybe it's just as simple as, Hey, if you want to work this show, we'll give you a, uh, we'll give you our platform for, you know, a live stream thing. Cause the other thing ice ribbons doing are these hour long, uh, personable live streams. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maya my, just had one where she's, talking with fans and whatnot uh, now stardom is is going that route uh, with i saw like one-on-one with tom Nakino in her bedroom and i'm like what is that gonna be <laughs> <laughs> have you seen her her videos that she puts out where she doesn't say a word she just like stares at the camera and yeah i'm waiting for her to like stab all her animals and see the stuffing all over all over her room I'm, like waiting for her to crack just the lights to go out and come back on there's just stuffing everywhere yeah, she still has that blank expression on her face, and then there's she's just eating soup right there, and there's all the animals just ripped apart all over her room. I'm waiting for it. It's gonna happen. Saki Kashima's showing us her knife collection. She's like, "Yeah, this is what this was my high school hobby." Saki Saki Kashima. Saki Kashima. <laughs> Any show I go on, I have to do that. Yeah. I'm just waiting for it all. You got Julia doing makeup tutorials, which doesn't doesn't really shock me. Seems to be way into that. You so, gonna you gonna try to follow along and do it with her? Oh me? Yeah. I mean, that be, I am an artist at heart. I mean, let's let's, let's be real here. That should be the internet thing, like guys following like following Julia's tutorial <laughs> and posting videos. <laughs> I have to get a makeup kit, but. Yeah. Uh, it would be, it would be, yeah, I was just like, all right, first I got to shave though, so. <laughs> Me too. I got to, so no, no, just put, put it on top of your beard. I got a beard mustache, so. To, yeah. Put it on top of the beard. That yeah. would be hilarious. All right, a little, blu- little blush here over the five o'clock shadow. <laughs> Idiot guys would probably get Sharpies and probably put Sharpies around their eyes. Yeah. Make my eye, make, do the Kim Kardashian eyebrows. It's like, yeah. man, am I doing this right? And it won't come off because it's a permanent marker like idiot guys would do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's worth that's worth finishing off this bourbon. Mm. And we'll leave it at that. Again, Eric, thank you for uh, Joshi Pod. Thank you for joining me talking ice ribbon for the last hour. This is great. It's usually two hours with JPQ talking stardom. Finally, Ice, oh, by the way, Ice Ribbon, of course, gets the tally for uh, the Joshi War. Uh, sorry, Stardom. You got to put on some content. <laughs> yeah, they got, they got nothing going on. They got, they got nothing going on. So uh, that now that leaves uh, the tally at 4-4 four to four in the Joshi War. A little bit more uh, competition there than the AEW versus WXW War. That's uh, that's up to 6 nothing. It's a clean sweep right now. That's a bummer. <laughs> bummer in my heart. But anyways, again... Thank you for joining. I really enjoyed uh, this conversation. Uh, hope to have you back. Anytime, brother. I really appreciate it. And uh, it was my honor to, to be on the show. Uh, thank you. That's Joshi Pod. You can find him Spotify, uh, Anchor. I know you plug that at the beginning of your shows. Yep. Uh, definitely go check that out. He does amazing interviews with all the Joshi wrestlers from around the world. Anything involved with Joshi wrestling. Uh, Eric, thank you. Thank you. See you next time, hopefully. All right, Bye. take care, man. 
Yes, sir. Yeah, I realize that's Kento Miyahara's music, but hey, dude's a star, and I'm watching a promotion that's not Dragon Gate or New Japan, so hey. It is time for the Big Japan, big catch-up of big matches, because why the fuck not? So I've decided that January through February is going to be a rank. This is for the rankings. March is going to be a rank, and then April is uh, where we stand now uh, with the rankings of this podcast. So that leaves potentially 45, potentially 45 total points up for grabs uh, for someone who could potentially take first in each of those weeks representing Big, big Japan. Uh, the April will be included with the others. So basically, it's how many people on these shows or matches that stick out to me, and uh, she'll get that get that point on the the month ish basis. Plus, if Big Japan impresses me, then they will get two auto points into the Puro War. Okay, here we go. January second broadcast date, January eleventh on Samurai TV. Uh, Strong World Heavyweight Title match between Daichi Hashimoto. Uh, yes, that is the son of Shinya Hashimoto. Uh, defeats Yuji Okiba Okabayashi uh, for uh, to retain the heavyweight titles. A 16 and a half minute match. I love Daichi's Fist of the North Star haircut, and no surprise, Okabayashi chops the living shit out of Daichi as he screams, just constantly taking them. Daichi answers with uh, the quick hard, quick hard kick combos, just like did dear old dad, uh, but with his own little modern spin on it. So, I like that. Oka in this match was a bull of a man. Super fun to watch him power up uh, and be the scary strong man he is. Comes off as way more crazy or something like that uh, in BJW as opposed to what I've seen in uh, All Japan Pro Wrestling. Flash Magic, then elevated DDT as Daichi wins. I really enjoyed this. That's a good start for Big Japan. We cut to February 11th, broadcast date February 20th, Samurai TV. A junior heavyweight title match, Yuya Aoki defeats, he's the champion, defeats and main, retains his title against Fuminori Abe. Uh, just under 14 minutes Yuya in these black and blue trunks with a flame pattern on it. I quite liked it. Uh, match was extremely fast-paced grappling to start. That took me a little bit by surprise for a junior heavyweight title match. Abe works the knee a lot. I really enjoyed that. Uh, match felt very chippy from Abe all overall. Just then, it, no matter whether it was grappling or not, it maintained an extremely fast-paced match. Yuya wins off a Tiger Suplex. Abe really impressed me with his speed here in this one, but uh, Yuya Aoki is... Uh, he definitely stood out to me. I watched a couple more of his uh, junior matches, um, kind of skimmed over some tag matches he was involved in. This dude's been low-key one of the best of the year. Yuya Aoki has really, really impressed me. Um, then we get the Big Japan Tag Team title match. Uh, that's Daisuke Sakamoto, Sakamoto teaming with Kohei Sato. Uh, they're the champions. They defeat Yankee Tukenju. Quite like that name. Uh, that is the team of Isami Kodaka and Yuko Miyamoto. 18 and a half minutes match. Yuko is scared. Or, I'm sorry. Yuko is scarred the fuck up front and back. Just a note here. His partner Kodaka isn't much better off himself. You know what? They're both fucked up. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, they're deathmatch guys, and they have the scars just they on their disfigured now bodies. This match was all about the big strong boys versus the deathmatch guys. In the end, Sekimoto proved too powerful for, for uh, Kodaka as he's just stuffing all these lucha spots. Uh, killed him with a with a huge power move upon each time. This was an awesome tag match. Quite enjoyed that. March 3rd, Strong Climb Day 1. So this begins Big Japan's uh, G1-ish tournament. Or uh, Champion Carnival, however you might put it. Uh, they call it the Ikitosen Strong Climb. Uh, block A match here was Ryuchi Kawakami defeats T-Hawk, 12-54. Uh, real cool seeing the Speed Dragon uh, here uh, in the Dragon Gate style from T-Hawk in Big Japan. Uh, well, he's against more common-looking uh, wrestler opponent in Ryuchi here. Kind of shocked Ryuchi won the match. He won off a Michinoku driver to note. Thought that was interesting. Uh, a spike version of it, too. It looked really brutal. Um, another Block A match is Daichi Hashimoto. Uh, defeating Yoshiki Inamura, 14:51 here. So for a while I wasn't into this match, but 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 as Inamura and his glorious barrel chest and his terrible wrestling singlet powered up and made his comeback, I got back into this. Eventually Daichi, uh, being as so solid and fundamental as he is, uh, would keep pace and counter the power ups. Uh, work to his finish. It was super cool. Shining Wizard to the back. Uh, even flow DDT, Inamura kicks out at one, and I like this from Daichi. He immediately follows up with a front Shining Wizard, locks in an STF, and just before Inamura powers out or reaches the ropes, Daichi puts a torque into getting the submission. I love this. Uh, I believe, uh, Julia, whom has her, like, a uh, Snap Viper or whatever she calls her little submission, this is what she needs to execute. She needs to get that kind of snap torque into a submission, make sure that it, uh, once you lock that in, you're done situation, and you can lock it in quick and out of nowhere. I like this from Daichi. This was uh, the only time I saw him uh, do this STF. Uh, at first, I couldn't think of what, uh, what ma made me like Daichi so much, but it is the fact he's so fundamental, and he can seemingly work with anybody. Like, man, this... This guy's really standing out to me. And, spoiler, I see Daichi win with different combinations of his big moves, and he wins with different moves. Well, I do like that as well. Daichi Hashimoto, very much impressive. Uh, we move on to a uh, the, the, the main event of this particular uh, night, which is, again, the Big Japan tag titles. Daisuke Sekimoto and Sato... Defending against Shigehiro Irie, yeah, that's right, Strong Panda himself, teaming with, of all people, Yuji Okibayashi. 1855 this went. Sato and his tall, skinny, weird body hitting Oka with the shoot headbutts really made me uncomfortable in this match. A lot of shoot headbutts here. Uh, his forehead knot and blood split down really didn't help matters for the visual. Now that said, Sekimoto working with... The combo of Oka and Irie was salivating big, thick boy dynamics. Oh, so good. Yes, this tag was even better than the February 11th defense that I had just watched. After big boys club, club the shit out of each other here. Scream! 
Sekimoto rips and tears the Oka liner with his own. Uh, just like last time, Sato uh, saunters in for the forearm, then pile driver to set up Sekimoto's delayed German pin to win. Haas glory, all of this was, one of the best tag matches of the year. Go out of your way to see this. You won't see a match like this in any other promotion because these big, thick dudes, uh, three out of the four of them, uh, Sato is tall, so he has that going for him, but Irie, Oka, and Daisuke, holy shit. They just ran wild here. I loved it. I really got to think hard of where this stands on the tag matches of the year. Whether it's, uh, what, do, does it live up to the um, Goto Shingo tag match that was at New Year's Dash? Does it uh, reach the Lucha Bros Omega Hangman match? Well, I'll have to, I'll have to maybe pick apart uh, those matches later. But yes, very much recommend this one. We cut further to March 16th, Dai Nippon Pro Wrestling 25th Anniversary, Stardust Superstars. Long title. Uh, this one had two title matches on the card. Daichi Hashimoto uh, defeating Daisuke Sekimoto here, 22-35. So first things first on the show. This ring mat, the state of this thing. I have never seen such a ripped and taped up mat in my life. Obviously, it's from all the death matches. You're running a death match show. Let's get the shitty, shitty mat out, right? The first half of this match was painfully slow, real basic with just holds and just basic holds, not doing anything. Everyone's sauntering around the ring. Daichi is trying to sell this just nothing that's coming his way. Uh, there was some strong style hits going on, but just remained too slow for too long. Really disappointing uh, was what I was thinking of most of the match at this point. Um, Daichi tried to come back via his kicks, but thick boy Sekimoto stuffs that child play immediately, makes him scream a lot. Now the last seven minutes of this match kind of saved it for me. Everything built up to their big moves. So they slowly, like, even though it was really pacing itself, right? Eventually, they worked their way up Basically, their kind of moveset. It felt like a slow version of Fire Pro Wrestling. Sekimoto proceeded to kick out of everything Daichi threw at him. Uh, and even Daichi himself kicked out of that same delayed German from uh, Sekimoto that I had just seen him win two tag title matches from. Finally, Daichi hits a brain buster of all things to win. So Sekimoto, to recap, kicked out of the Shining Wizards. He kicked out of the uh, the even flow DDT. He kicked out of the elevated DDT. So he hits a brain buster. Boom. And why... Now, th don't get me wrong. The match was painfully boring. Okay? But this finish is what's missing in a lot of today's wrestling. Okay? So, big, big, big kudos to the finish and a different move winning. I like that. Makes so much sense. There's just too much wrestling today where they go on, a match will go on and on and on. Each guy has kicked out of their finisher once, twice, three times over, right? And then finally, a big move that's not their finisher wins the match. It finally puts someone away. Because what that does now is the next time they hit that move, you think, oh, fuck, it could be the finish. What do you know? 
So yes, the match is painfully boring, but I love the finish so much. It had to get its time of day. And I did watch, I, 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 hey, not a deathmatch guy. This was a big deal. It's a 25th anniversary show. I watched this deathmatch. It was Ryuji Ito defeating Abdullah Kobayashi for the deathmatch heavyweight title. Uh, 17 minutes, light tube galore. A big showman to it. Ryuji went full-blown into all the tubes, not holding back. Uh, the wrestling from Abdullah was atrocious, but this was a deathmatch after all. Um, this is probably the best deathmatch I watched on this little journey here. So, the show of it was good, I will say. Suple I, think, I think the worst spot that made me cringe was the suplex onto side-place chairs going through on light tube debris was just utter nonsense so lots of blood of course everywhere continuing on march 21st strong climb day three we'll go a little quicker here uh block a match uh akira hyodo defeats ryuchi uh, kawakami uh, 11 minutes great finish still not feeling the kawakami train he just comes off as a generic dude with a good build uh but this match he had a great opponent kyoto's hair was flowing gloriously uh, as the finish was great, I legit thought that Hyoto was going for a shooting star, even with his big boy out of shape build, and he undershot it. Luckily, it was just a super high altitude senton. Kawakami blocks a front spear, powers up, but then gets speared from the back, and then a front spear uh, roll up combo to get pinned. He did no sell the the pin spear combo. I thought was real weird, uh, but a good finish nonetheless. The underdog got the win. That was pretty cool. Uh, Isami Kodaka defeats Taishi uh, Takazawa in a block B match, 11 minutes. Very one-sided beatdown against Kodaka. What made this interesting is the fact that it was so one-sided, and it ends with a three-move comeback from Kodaka. Uh, Taishi misses a beautiful moonsault, gets countered into an elevated scorpion deathlock, and then gets sort of flash-pinned off a cravat, which he kind of locks in the shoulders. I've never seen this before, so it was very unique. Uh, Yuya Aoki is back, baby. Uh, he defeats Yasufumi uh, Nakanoe. This was utterly fantastic. Imagine an indie version of uh, Okada Osprey. It's kind of the closest I can compare. Uh, in the structure and moves uh, sense of the world. Uh, also, the finish included something straight out of uh, the New Japan Cup 2019 match, except in this, the Osprey character goes over via a shock Venus clutch after a Rainmaker attempt pin. Uh, lots of people winning with Fujimoto's uh, Venus Clutch these days, I see. Uh, this is capped off with Daichi defeating T-Hawk. So, the big Japan ace taking on, well, Shima's best friend, I guess. T-Hawk, Dragon Gate. T-Hawk goes full heel in this match. Jumping Daichi during the uh, streamer introduction doesn't look back. This was great. Uh, T-Hawk works the knee to take his offense away, and most, and mostly, anyways. Daichi, great man selling, manipulating his offense as such from the selling. From, uh, one-legged knee drops to switch, he switches his kick stance, uh, moving to a ground game as well. T-Hawk gains control and, uh, kept going for big knockout blows one after another, including his dragon wizard multiple times. Problem with this is he stopped working the knee, opening up Daichi to fight back with his kicks. So, from a psychology standpoint, 
Bad move, T-Hawk. A <laughs> uh, glorious return uh, of Daichi here had kicking the shit out of T-Hawk. Uh, great near falls and great stiff counters from both guys. Daichi picks up the win off of the elevated DDT. Wonderful match. My favorite on this journey by this point in time. Then we get to 2AW, Active Advanced Wrestling, uh, their Grand Slam show from March 25th. Uh, basically, 2AW is an indie promotion uh, that does a lot of crossovers with Big Japan. It's my understanding of it all. Uh, they had a tag title match featuring Chango and Kaiji Tomato uh, defeating Aota Yoshida and Tank Nagai. 18 and a half minutes. So I was familiar with zero of these guys prior. I have heard of Tank Nagai before. Uh, but boy, do they feel and wrestle like rough indie guys. That being said, this was a damn fine tag team match. I love the uniqueness of Chango uh, and the jump transition speed of Ioto. Uh, not once in this match I was bored. Uh, the near falls from Chango were unique pin covers that got a pop out of me, so kudos there. Uh, Tomato is a bit goofy looking. He needs more pop in his arsenal. Tank, he exists. He's a power guy. I heard this tag was along the lines of a tag match of the year situation. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was good, but it wasn't that good. It wasn't that level. No way I think this match is better than the Big Japan title matches. Um, but still very solid. I do recommend it. Uh, the same show was highlighted by Yuji Okabayashi defeating Shu Asakawa to gain the 2AW Openweight title. A real, real, real good showing from Oka here. Just a big barrel dude being very good at what he does. Uh, really reminds me of, of uh, Chris Dickinson on the indies wrestling an up-and-comer. That's what this match was like. Uh, I had a tough time buying the friggin' champion as someone who was at the level of Oka. I mean, Asakawa's okay. He's got some solid stuff, and but the impacts, the charisma... Ability to get the crowd behind him. I know there's no crowd, but... Uh, no, no, no. In this match, there was a, there was a small one. Uh, it was only exacerbated by the fact that Oka was doing similar stuff, but better. Hey. You like the match? I, I, I mean, I, I like the match. I enjoyed it. Hope the opponent can, uh, can rise to the occasion next time. However, this was the 2A champion we're talking about here, the former. Not someone up and coming, and that's the difference between, say, a Chris Dickinson match and what we got here at Oka. Uh, fault on the opponent, fault on the booking there. Uh, and then finally, the we are up to April 26th, Ikatosin Strongheim final. Uh, the tag matches were very solid on this card, uh, but we're definitely going to talk about how just awful this this final booking was. Uh, so their, their, their Strong Climb tournament got cut, so they basically took the point system and determined that these four guys are going to be in the final four, and they will duke it out on the show. This was, in fact, an empty arena show. So it turns out Daichi was taking on Daisuke, uh, and then Quiet Storm taking on Jake Lee. So yeah, a, a, former, uh, a, a former Noah guy, gone freelancer now, is taking on a freelancer gone all Japan wrestling. Daichi and Daisuke really tried to replicate their boring, boring fest in 12 minutes uh, from that title match in February. 
luckily, uh, at the very least, Daisuke takes, tries to get a quick pin over Daichi, uh, but then it went real slow and went to the finish where Daichi does win. So, your Big Japan champion is in the finals of their big tournament. And then the Quiet Storm Jake Lee match was done in under five minutes via countout. Like, I was watching a WWF show from 95. Just a bullshit finish. The idea is to keep keep the other guy strong, but then why book it at all? Uh, basically, they're brawling on the outside to a 20 count. Uh, Jake Lee looks to get back in the ring. Quiet Storm just runs over, throws him out of the way. He gets in, and then Jake Lee gets counted out for that 20. Just a bullshit finish. I could totally see Puro fans and Big Japan Wrestling fans just being absolutely furious with this. I was very much annoyed because never in my life did I think Quiet Storm is a tournament finals or main eventer or even a combo of both or even by themselves. Jake Lee, on the other hand, has been put into at least main event situations in All Japan. So, really got screwed out of the possible Daichi-Jake Lee match. Uh, so instead, we got Daichi taking on Quiet Storm in a 17-minute snooze fest of Quiet Storm just being an indie guy that's just not ready for this. He had no business being in this main event. In this sense of the world, I'm glad Daichi won. But in a booking standpoint, this should have gone to someone who they need to build up as a credible main eventer in the future for Big Japan. There's not enough of those guys uh, to compete with Daichi. Yeah, you have Sekimoto. Yeah, you have Oka. Uh, who else you got? That's that's where I'm missing as someone who's watching Big Japan here for the first time. And I can already tell that their roster is spread pretty thin. Uh, on the flip side... I vastly enjoyed every show but the Strong Climb Finals uh, heavily. Uh, their tag wrestling is quite entertaining. Uh, their booking makes at least a moniker of sense. Uh, they kept their champion very strong throughout. Uh, the only bummer match uh, besides the uh, Strong Climb Finals was that Sekimoto Daichi match, which was painfully boring, but with the excellent finish. So Big Japan gets, gets uh, two thumbs up. They do get their two points. They earned it. Um, we'll see if I keep watching it from here on out. Uh, I might want to check out some more All Japan Wrestling since um, a lot of the Russell One guys, uh, since since uh, that closed down, seemed like their big big main eventers such as Ashino signed with All Japan Wrestling. So I'm extremely excited to see this injection into their main event. Uh, so yeah, Big Japan. Good stuff there. Uh, now we'll move on to the retro section of the podcast. Got to make my notes, though. Can't forget about the notes. Can't ever do that. All right, it's time for some All Japan Women as my... Really bad kitty cat has now joined the fray. He woke up, caused some mayhem and trouble. Let's see if I can get through this without throwing him in the other room. We are up to episode 19 of this All Japan Women's Classic Watch. Been following along, thank you. Uh, and if you want to help out the podcast, you could really use those iTunes reviews just for my ego. 
maybe share us on Twitter at BowlingJD, hashtag RedleyFretcherCast. Do whatever you can to get help spread the word out of the job I'm doing. <laughs> uh, April 27th, 1987, from the Osaka Prefectural Gymnasium, we start off this classic episode with the jumping bomb angels going one-on-one -on -one against each other. Yes, it's Itsuki Yamazaki taking on Norio Tateno, a match that I, I really, really wanted. So it's speed, 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 speed to start, then transitions into trading submission holds. They brawl to the outside, and then simply both get counted out, fighting each other, trying to get back into the ring. Kind of a letdown match between the tag team. But if we are going by old school booking here, it's fine uh, to want a real blow-off rivalry match at some point. This was certainly not the time or place, but it does get us talking. Who is the better of the Jumping Bomb Angels? So not bad. Just a letdown. Uh, we move on with the Japan Grand Prix 1987 League match. This seems to crop up all the time on this retro watch, these classic rewatches. There's always at least one match that pops on. I still have no idea whoever wins these things. <laughs> so I gotta take these just kind of in a vacuum. But it's Devil Masami versus Bull Nakano. Yes, that is the person whose music that you, uh, you hear before the section of this podcast. And oh man, what a dream match this is for me. The young upstart Nakano against the former champion in Devil Masami. And you know me, I love me some Devil Masami. Bull Nakano is still sporting the wild half-shave head with the single lock left on the, other, on the shaved side. No boots, so it's still the, uh, the karate taped up uh, ankles and feet. She immediately goes to town on Masami with her nunchakus. That dirty cheater. Masami does end up eventually escaping to the outside to gain back her composure, with some yelling at the ref uh, included. Former champ takes over, as she should. Bull gets a huge pop at the crowd when she reverses the snapmare by doing a roundhouse cartwheel and briefly takes control with a couple huge Yakuza kicks. Awesome, or the pump kick, if you will. Uh, Masami takes it back with the uh, the jump turn lariat, and for now, I'm going to call it the 80s sling blade. Uh, let's see if I remember that, though. Uh, then Bull's young Gokwaku, uh, Gokwaku Dome uh, teammate just kind of gets in the ring, body slam Masami, because the ref don't give a fuck. This is all Japan women in the 80s, after all. Uh, after a heel blunder of Bull hitting her teammate, uh, Masami runs wild... And what I mean runs wild, she just gets herself a wooden fucking sword and beats some ass. Including a top rope sword strike. Right to Bull's noggin. Bull gets the nunchakus after some distraction. Gets on the shoulders of Masami, she's trying to choke her out. And then... As, they, as Masami gives Nakano the electric chair drop upon landing... <laughs> Excuse me. Upon landing, Nakano immediately grabs her shoulder and collarbone area, and then Masami just simply saunters over, climbs on top for the pin. So I really think Nakano either separated her shoulder here or broke her collarbone on that landing. Now I'm simply left with that, ah, oh, what if, man? How would this match have turned out? How was it supposed to end? 
if this didn't happen. I love this match a lot, but just a huge bummer to that finish. So maybe this was the big injury, uh, and when Nakano comes back, she's, she's a huge star. Who knows? Three WA tag titles on the line here in this next match. It's uh, Hisako Uno and Yumiko Hota versus Yumi Ogura and Kazuo Nagahori. Besides the initial jump from the Red Typhoons here, that's the Ogura Nagahori team. This was mostly a submission isolation mat work type of match. Very good selling from Uno, aka the will-be Akira Hokuto in this match. Uh, fall 1 was simply Uno taking a mid-rope tombstone that absolutely killed her. She looked like she was in immediate pain and was in pain and hunched over for the remainder of the match. So clearly she was hurt on this tombstone pile driver. Uh, during the second fall, Hota legit kickboxes the shit out of Ogura to the point of getting a front tooth knocked out. Had a real good image on a kick out there. Uh, their tongue looking, trying to find her missing tooth. Uh, second fall is when Hota F5s Nagahori from the middle rope 80s style. So just kind of on the shoulders, throws her off kind of situation. Very cool. Uh, Red Typhoon had a sequence of in tandem moves on the young uh, on the young team, doing double arm suplexes in tandem, running sentons in tandem. Uh, so just like many do today, this is very modern. Much more modern match here than one would think. When you put it all together, this was followed by the third fall finish of Nagahori spin kicking Hota for like two straight minutes and then gets the final fall. <laughs> Very entertaining. This exceeded my expectations tremendously. Very much enjoyed this one. And then we got our main event, the All Pacific Championship. Uh, yes, this is uh, Nagayo's uh, title, I believe. Uh... Taking So it's Nagayo taking on Lalani Kai. Yes, this is Glamour Girl meets Crush Gal. Neither of which are in the WWE Hall of Fame. If that meant anything, both of these women would be. But anyways. Big Scary Gaijin fights out of the submission game and eventually grabs like a beer can or something wild. Beats the piss out of Chigusa, splitting her open. Crowd does not like this at all. But boy do they like Chigusa fighting back. Nagayo kicks the Piss out of Kai, splitting her open. The best moment came when Kai punches Chigusa into the corner. And then Chigusa just walks out of the corner, simply staring her down. They both look at each other with bloody faces, with utter contempt on their faces. A great, great quick little visual. And then they go to 50-50 blows. With the time limit counting down, Chigusa finally hits a power slam suplex to get the pinfall. Very simple old-school match, and yes, the blood is what made the difference here from a good match becoming what is now, I will consider, an all-time classic. Very, very, very simple show. Nothing major seemed to have happened, just good matches from top to bottom. Kitty cat, come on. Out of there. Talking about all Japan women here. There we go. So yeah, that was episode 19. I do recommend it. Uh, I do recommend it. We're on it. We're hitting a stride. Of these classic episodes being one after another. I think this is a three three episode streak that I have I very much for it. Uh, I don't like seeing the absentee champion. Uh, I don't like her part timerness on these classics, even though I'm not a fan of her being champion. Just kind of weird that you wouldn't see the champion on these classics, would you? Anyways. Be moving on to the New Japan classics in the 90s uh, with my mother, 
Hope you guys enjoy. And when you come back, it'll be WCW time. And I gotta get my cat out of the back. Mother, we're back. We are. Just making my little timestamp there. Uh, bum, 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 bum. New Japan through the 90s. Uh, I normally, or at least I started doing other notable matches uh, of the era of 91, but I had so much fun watching uh, the New Japan show this time around. I didn't do that. And I decided to uh, watch uh, a bunch of Big Japan wrestling instead. So, this was New Japan 1991 uh, that you can all find on the New Japan archive at New Japan World. We watched uh, one match from April 30th uh, in 1991, and then we watched the entire show that's available on the archive of New Japan Super Heavy Crash 1991, Day 6, The Legend of Dragon, Tatsumi Fujinami's 20th Anniversary Show. It's a mouthful. All took place at Osaka Castle Hall of May on May 31st, 1991. You have some... This is your first taste, Mom, of being involved with New Japan uh, outside of the Wrestle Kingdom show you watched from this year. Yeah. Yeah, that was pretty cool. I, I actually did enjoy it. Got to... Um see a little bit of that side of back in the day mm -hmm. with the the mullet hairdos and yeah cool cool enjoyed it so now i gotta ask did you enjoy this 1991 show more or did you enjoy russell kingdom more from this year hmm i think i enjoyed russell kingdom okay Fair enough. Yeah. More modern. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Our first match was, as said, the April 30th, 1991 match. IWGP Junior Heavyweight title on the line. This is uh, the top of the Super Junior tournament. This is the finals. So think of like a uh, knockout style, I suppose. Uh, the title was vacant at the time. So winner takes all. The finals was... Uh, Norio Hanaga taking on Jushin Thunder Liger, whom you just saw retire at Wrestle Kingdom. So pretty crazy that we've gone all the way back to 1991, and Liger right. is kind of at the top of his career, and he's only going to get better and more highlighted as the uh, decades go on. Match went 21 minutes, 54 seconds, and it was awesome. Must be Good stuff. Yeah, must be noted yeah. that Noro Hanaga has an amazing, glorious, curly, blonde, permed mullet going on. <laughs> and he's part of the Blonde Outlaws little faction going in New Japan. Well, he had to definitely get a perm for that. Oh, so glorious. <laughs> I loved it so much. I love Noro Hanaga. Uh, Noro Hanaga <laughs> wins off the straight jacket uh, German suplex, the shutdown German suplex, known for Kento Miyahara was a really cool match lots of awesome near falls the crowd was totally into it and got further into it as the match went on really different now watching uh wrestling with crowds <laughs> right 
what are your full thoughts on uh, Honaga defeating Mr. Liger in this 20-plus minute match? I I thought it was a, a good match. It was a good finish. I, I was really surprised. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, back in those days, so they... Um, was Japan doing steroids too? I can't answer that. I'm sure some people were, but I know for a fact that drugs and the whatnot uh, is a lot less lenient in Japan. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um. You, you definitely saw a lot less jacked dudes in Japan. Right. Not right. everyone looked like Lex Luger. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it was good, you know. Um, uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure the audience sound was real because I was making the comment about that with you. That I you I'm not seeing... Real. I know, but I was not seeing anyone... Uh, yelling and I'm hearing all this yelling going on, but I'm not seeing anyone within, within camera view on the outside doing any kind of yelling at all because they don't yell in Japan. They're very polite. Even now they're, they, <laughs> they, they are the most muted people ever when it comes to the audience and wrestling. Well, I can't wait to I'm, get you to watch all Japan women. You will see okay. a completely different crowd setting. Okay. <laughs> oh yeah, it is insane what that crowd does. Okay. Uh, well, I'll be watching the audience to see if there's actually uh, something coming out of their mouths. Yeah. The. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there was a, just a ton of near falls. Uh, Liger, I believe this is the match we watched two of, two of these Honaga Liger matches. I believe this is the yeah. one where Liger was going for his top rope DDT. Uh, which I saw on the previous show at the Tokyo Dome in 91. And uh, Honaga, which had the crowd behind him, and he's a bad guy, he decides to nutshot Liger on that top rope to reverse the situation, and the crowd turned on him hard. I quite love this move. <laughs> it was right in front of the referee. Uh, the referee's like, hey, man, that's not cool. So not a DQ in Japan. That's nothing new. Uh, at least from what I've seen on this journey. Uh, this was a really cool match. Highly recommend it. This was awesome. And then we get... I think the second match was the better, The second though. match turned out to be even better. Better. So we'll get into, Way better. We'll get into more of that later. Yeah. Uh, May 31st, 1991, the, uh, we watched um, seven matches. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah, seven matches on the show out of mm -hmm. the nine. So we pretty much watched the whole show. Uh, Osaka Castle Hall, again, the uh, Fujinami 20th anniversary show. We begin with uh, Kim Duke and Masanobu Kurisu taking on the Blonde Outlaws, so part of the Honaga group. Uh, 12 minutes, uh, blonde boys were cheating. Uh, the other guys got <laughs> so fed up to the point where they just ended up beating the shit out of them until finally winning. I loved it. They were like bitching to the ref. Bitching to the ref. Those dudes are cheating. Dudes are cheating. I believe it was uh, Kurisu that just finally had enough. He just 
gets in the ring, beats the shit out of him, gets gets out of the ring, wants a tag. Ref still won't do anything in terms of the blonde outlaws. So then he just grabs a chair and proceeds to beat the shit out of the guy with it uh, from the outside while he's on the ropes. Throws him back in, and then he just gets in the ring with the chair and clocks him over the head with it. It was great. I loved it. It was great seeing baby faces. Uh, I mean, if you're not going to call for a DQ, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Right. They didn't just stand there being <laughs> stupid, right? Um, right. Uh, uh, assisted pile driver on the outside, assisted pile driver on the inside, and they get the win. A simple match to start the show off, I say. Boom. Boom. Uh, this followed with Keiji Muto and Ricky Chosu. So new generation and the old generation teaming up to take on... I know you know him, Mr. Bam Bam Bigelow. Bam, bam teaming up with TNT. Bigelow. <laughs> it was a cool watching Bam Bam Bigelow TNT. look awesome for once. Right. I like this match. Uh, bam Bam Bigelow was the big star here. I think. Yeah, he still gets cut down. <laughs> he did still lose in the end, but it's besides the point. He did. <laughs> <laughs> I loved when TNT was getting the shit kicked out of him by Chosu and Muto, and then Bigelow flies in from off camera, floppy fish style, and does a big diving headbutt, like a seal uh-huh. out of water, <laughs> to break it up. I loved it. It was my favorite spot in the whole match. Right. <laughs> it was great. What did you think of uh, KG Muto in this match? He was the dude in the pink tights. I liked him. He was, you know, um, Seeing uh, seeing them working at at this time, you know, um, was interesting to me. I, I'm I was quite surprised at seeing uh, Moto and what he could do. That was cool. I mean, the closest we have to this yeah. time frame was on the previous episode. We watched the Jake Roberts Macho Man. Mm-hmm. And then the Bret Hart Owen Hart, which was uh, two completely different matches, and now you're watching mm-hmm. the Japanese uh, style work here, where it's uh, a mixture of very physical and high flying. Right. So an old which, older style you know, changing yeah. into the new yeah. one. Yeah. Right. Right. Because we were having that conversation about the the old and the new and. Uh, what they were trying to do during this time. So, mm-hmm. uh, the finish was Ricky Chosu hits a bunch of strong clotheslines on Bigelow as they uh, threw TNT out of the ring, and then Mujo, uh, Bigelow wasn't down, but Muto hits a big snap German to pin him, and that's how it ends. Boom! 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 Done. I was like, cool. <laughs> Flash finish. Boom! Boom! Bam! Bam! Down. Bam, bam, down. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Uh, then we got our rematch of Norio Hanaga taking on Jushin Thunder Liger. Which was my favorite match. This was really, really, really good. This yeah. is excellent. It does not have a recommended tagline on Cage Match, which shocked me. And I can't imagine why. Uh so Hanaga and Liger brawl on the outside for like eight minutes before the match This was started. a very bloody match mess. True blood, blood and guts match. It was awesome. Uh, yeah. yeah. So Hanaga, Li- Liger has the advantage uh, after the initial brawl and the match begins. And then Hanaga 
turns the tide and he rips Liger's mask off. Like, which really made Nori mad. Well, it made, or Liger, it made Liger mad. just furious. furious. He tries fighting, you know, he tries fighting, uh, keep his identity, you know, somewhat masked. Uh, but the mask is just so far <laughs> ripped that he just can't do it anymore. And he just rips it off himself, uh, exposing his face. So this isn't the first time I've seen Liger's face in a match. Uh, crowd gasps and Liger just flips a switch and he's pissed. Uh, runs Hanaga into an exposed turnbuckle, just busts this dude open si- three, six ways from Sunday. Bloody mess. It becomes a total bloodbath with Honaga. Even the ref is like, dude, Liger, chill. And he's like, no, he ripped my mask off. I'm kicking this dude's ass. <laughs> he's clawing at the wound. He's biting it uh, at one point. Uh, just repeatedly boots to the face. Honaga was like, he felt like a murder victim <laughs> at one point. I feel like this is what the MJF-Cody match should have been at Revolution. It should have been something like this. Yes. And yeah. They, I, yeah. they kind of went for it, but we just didn't see the the move that busted MJF open. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there, was, there was some miscues there over young MJF. Uh, so this this is the blueprint for turning the tide and watching someone kick someone's ass and then and then the end where Honaga stole the win off of Liger with the uh, with the clutch pin and then grabbing the ropes and him just bleeding profusely all over his body all over the mat you're just like man Liger got screwed <laughs> it was truly shocking I felt did you feel this uh, feel the same way? Yeah, yeah, it, you know, um, yeah, but it was good. I mean, uh, for uh, I was surprised that Liger didn't win, but um, considering that you know Nori's going to keep his belt, and yeah, you're going to do a rematch, you're still not going to win. Oh, this is far from against over for him. Sure. Yeah, this was uh, this was. Fan fucking tastic! It's a huge recommendation. Uh, so, mark this down. Norio Hanaga and Liger is the feud of 1991, and uh, this is the match of the year so far. <laughs> yeah. This was followed by a glorious big boy match. It was Flash Scott Norton taking on Big Van Vader. <laughs> Big boys screaming and grunting at each other, trying to knock each other down. Uh, Scott Norton's strength is so... Okay, so you asked uh, steroids? Pretty sure Scott Norton was on steroids. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. We we might be able to confirm that. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. Uh, Nevertheless, uh, Scott Norton's suplexes and power slams on the 400-pound Vader was so impressive. And them just running at each other like two Mack trucks, just trying to knock each other down. It was, because it was so different from anything else in the card, that's what made it stand out even more and had me enjoy it even more. I love this yeah, match with all my Yeah, it was a fun heart. match. Yeah, yeah, it was a fun match. Yep. Do you like watching I Vader? too. Yeah, yeah. I call him Eyeball Man. 
Eyeball man. Well, yeah, I, you 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 insisted on watching the moment where he got his <laughs> eye knocked out of his socket. You just had to see. Not it. on this particular match, not mind this you. One, that was the Stan Hansen match from 1990. Yeah. <laughs> Which is amazing. Uh, you know that that to me is amazing. That's that's an amazing wrestler to to be able to. Um, maintain that that momentum without your eyeball that's just crazy yeah so they uh they do end up brawling outside and scott norton uh gives vader a big running clothesline uh to finally take him off his feet uh for more than you know a second and uh the big difference here was vader did the same thing to norton earlier in the match but threw him back in the ring as to not get counted out Okay. Right. Scott Norton does on the other on hand. the other hand <laughs> decided to not do that and he takes the count out victory. And <laughs> that was I think a great heel maneuver. I wish uh I actually wish New Japan would do this more often. Mm-hmm. Um at least with a certain singles match and if they want to build a uh feud over time, that's something missing in modern day New Japan, I feel. And wrestling in general. Uh, and what really put this match over even more so was Vader gets the microphone and he go and he calls out Norton. He's like, we're not done here. Come on. Yes, you got the victory, but it was hollow. Get your ass back in here. We're going to fight some more. And uh, right. Norton beats up a ref. Uh, big uh, Vader, <laughs> big Vader clubs a couple uh, ring guy, ringside guys. Uh, they, they go to battle some more. And uh, Vader, you know, he beats him up, and then Norton's like, no, 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 come on. get You get your ass back in the ring now. And then they go at each other, they club blows, uh, until they're finally separated, but not without taking up out some more ring crew uh, during the brawl. This was great. This was so old school, I loved it. Hmm. Needless to say, Mom, don't see this anymore. <laughs> no. No, you don't. But you don't see, you know... Um... Not that I watch uh, WWE, um, but again, you know the they're getting with bigger guys like the the Wardlow, um, the Archer, Lance Archer, Brody Lee. Oh my um, God! Idea. You want to hear some fantasy booking stuff? Sure. Okay. So let's say Cody and Lance Archer in the finals of the TNT tournament. Okay. Mm-hmm. How about this? Lance Archer gets a hollow victory over Cody. And then they brawl and brawl and brawl. So Lance Archer technically wins the title, right? Mm-hmm. And I know it's coronavirus time and a lot of people are probably going to hate this idea. But I think then they have a brawl post-match. Cody calls him out, calls him a bitch, all this stuff on TV. And then all the wrestlers that are ringside have to jump the rail to separate them. Oh, okay. And then Cody gets one (laughs) over on Archer, and he calls, and then Archer calls him back to try to get his heat back, because now, yes, he did win the match and the title, technically, but Cody Mm -hmm. got the battle win over him when the pull-apart happened, and then they get back in the ring, and that's how the show goes off the air. Come on. That's money, right? There you go. Unfortunately, the TNT title tournament is going to take place at double or nothing. 
might not go well over on a pay-per-view <laughs> that you paid money for. <laughs> yeah, probably not. <laughs> well, I don't know. It could very well. You because, could still you know, do this you, and nobody would see it coming. You still could do it because, well, because you're allowed to have... Um, you know, more than 50 people in, in a room again. Yes. That Why still not? could work. And you know what? You could play those vignettes for months on Dynamite. Right. Because it would also hype people up on TV. So, shit, I got to uh-huh. get that next pay-per-view to see some something that I might not see on TV. Right. And it could be one of the first segments uh, that you see coming out on Dynamite after the pay-per-view of either Archer or Cody getting mad at each other and calling them out, and the feud continues. Come on. I have just printed money there. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag money. There you go. They're all, fr- all from the Scott Norton Big Van Vader match from 1991 there in New go. Japan. There you right. go. <laughs> you can do it. <laughs> All right, so this is actually titled Different Style Fight of Shinya Hashimoto uh, taking on uh, mixed martial arts uh, kickboxer Randy Thornton. And Which cracked me up because I'm like, what the hell is he doing with gloves on? Oh, you were what so the thrown boxing off. Boxing gloves? What the heck is that? Yeah. <laughs> so Shinya Hashimoto was a legitimate uh, mixed martial arts guy. He was also an everyday-looking sushi chef kind of dude that you might see at a sushi restaurant. <laughs> that might sound uh, insulting in this PC culture, but come on. He's like, what? he he's looks a, like a... He's really a sushi chef? No, but he looks like one. Oh. He looks like one that you'd oh. see on like, on like a, uh, a fish market, you know, with the headband. and Yeah. Oh. Come on, he's got the dad bod looking guy. He's He's got the headband mm, on. I love okay. Shinya Hashimoto. I love him. The more I watch of this retro stuff, the more I love this guy. And he's been put in this situation of battling all these uh, MMA dudes mm-hmm. in these matchups. So it blurred. This is the first one I can honestly say that it blurred blurred the line well of what's real and wrestling. Because uh, mm-hmm. I said on the last episode, I do not like these matches. They don't come across very well. And because I know wrestling's fake, this just, it really didn't sit well, nor was it entertaining. I can say this one was entertaining. Because Shinya Hashimoto missed a, a crucial attack. He got, he paid for it from Landy, Randy Thornton. Shinya got his uh, nose busted open. And uh, the same thing happened when Randy went for a, went for a strike. He missed and Shinya clocks him with a big spinning heel kick. And then knocks him in with an armbar victory. So it felt real. This is what I feel the Moxley-Hager match was trying to do, but stretched out over mm-hmm. 30 minutes instead of what this one mm-hmm. was, which was like five minutes. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. But yeah, this one definitely threw you off. That was funny. <laughs> You're just like, yeah. what's going on here with this boxer? <laughs> yeah, what that? Yeah, what the heck? But even they're kickboxing, they don't have, they don't wear boxing gloves for kickboxing, do they? Uh, I th- no. I don't, I'm not sure what the rules were in 91. I know later they certainly do not uh, in the Olympics right? and whatnot. I've, I've seen the, the, uh, the kickboxing in Olympics. They have taped fists <sighs> and whatnot. I don't know. 
Hmm. So the history behind why they have these matches uh, is twofold. One is Inoki is the founder of New Japan, and he loved wanting to mix real-life MMA with wrestling. And he thought the future was trying to blur that line and make his wrestlers seem more legitimate as legit fighters. Uh, and as the decade went on, and at the turn of the century, or a turn of the millennium in 2000, he went way overboard and started booking his wrestlers in real-life MMA matches, in which then, no shock, to find out that those wrestlers got the shit kicked out of them. <laughs> right? Right. So, uh, what he was trying to do here in the early 90s was just that, kind of an introduction of the fact, and get get more credibility to Hashimoto, who was a legitimate fighter as well. So uh, the bo- those boxing gloves are actually sparring gloves. They're called kickboxing sparring In this case, gloves. Yes. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. yeah, they're not actual boxing gloves. They're called sparring gloves. Yeah, they're not. So they look or anything. Yeah, they look like boxing gloves, but they're they're not. Well, it was still enough to bust his nose open pretty something, so. Well, yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that followed with our two main events. Um, I was really into this tag team match. This was great. It was the Steiner brothers taking on Hiroshi Hashi and uh, Kensuke Sasaki. And I told you, Hiroshi Hashi, uh, Hase is a uh, current senator or something in Japan. Right. Uh, I'm sure you enjoyed uh, the Steiners. Seeing the Steiners wrestle. I did. Lots of physicality in this match. It was a good match. I liked yeah, it. Yeah, this was this was great. Was a big fun. recommendation. Yeah. It is a four-star yeah. recommended match on Cage Match, by the way. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. And four stars from the Wrestling Observer Newsletter. <laughs> my oh my. Yeah. Yeah, the Steiners. Uh, it was a Steiners Brothers match. They throw the dudes around a lot. Uh, they're really physical. <laughs> and Hase and Sasaki uh, took it all. Good for them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As they should have, Mr. Goldie yeah, Pants. The, uh, the Gaijins win <laughs> the tag titles. They retain them, by the way. Uh, the only Gaijins that won on the show. As as opposed to Scott Norton, who faced another Gaijin. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then we had our uh, main event. Uh, champion Tatsumi Fujinami of the old generation trying to retain his title against the new generation up-and-comer of the Three Musketeers, Masahiro Chono. Match went 18 minutes and 33 seconds. It was a good match. Very physical. You could really hear, yeah. Yeah, it was very physical. You could really hear the wrestlers. I'll say this again. Uh, this is what Moxley yeah. and Hager were missing. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Right. <laughs> this didn't go 30 minutes, did it? No, went 18. <laughs> what did you think of uh, Fujinami and Chono individually? I'm very curious. As far as what? like uh, Their styles, their looks, who appealed to you more? That kind of thing. Um, I, I would take Fuji over Chono or whatever his name was. Okay, why is that? 
Uh, I just, I just like Fuji. I, I liked his style, the way he wrestled. I, I just felt that, um, you know, you can, it, it's, it's what wrestling still is today. You know, it was, it was, um, that style is stood the, the time. It's funny you mentioned that because, uh, I believe Bret Hart's style is, um, very much, uh, what's the word? Um, uh, based on Fujinami style, mm-hmm. uh, it's very mm-hmm. much a workhorse, physical, uh, everything you do in the ring matters situation. Yeah. Uh, I very much love watching Fujinami wrestle and Chono hung in there. Uh, this is a good, so this is the story of 91 is, uh, it kind of started in 1990 with Keiji Muto coming back from the NWA uh, so you have Muto, Hashimoto, and Chono as the three musketeers, the new generation, if you will. Mm, Fujinami, okay. uh, Ricky Chosu, and Vader are the old generation wrestlers. Okay, mm. Vader being mm-hmm. the big gaijin, uh, the star gaijin, uh, foreigner. Uh, for those that don't know that word, uh, they're trying to pass the torch to a new generation, but the new generation has to earn the torch. Okay. So Fujinami, uh, won the title. And this is a journey, a story in 1991 of the new generation trying to take the title from him. And Chono was first up. And unfortunately here he lost and he is not ready. Ah, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> so there's your, there's your story. Uh, unfortunately, as I saw in the archive, the G1, the big tournament, uh, that is, the turning point of the new generation proving themselves isn't in the archives, which is a huge bummer. I think the finals between Chono and Muto is the only match that's available in the archive to see, which is what we'll be covering in the next episode. Ah, huh. Yeah, that that's the big part coming out party of of the 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 audience is ready for the new generation to take over now. Uh, oh, so at the end okay. of 91 is uh, Fujinami's, um, well, his reign comes to an end, so to say. And ah. that's when Chono, Muto, and and uh, Hashimoto are finally there to that ah. point. Well, that was my favorite match. Fujinami the, Chono was. The whole night. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I still liked uh, Honaga Liger the most. Um, so what, well, what, what's, what's uh, set... This one but apart I, I, then. The reason I, I liked this match was, uh, as I said earlier, um, that this uh, kept a, the base of what wrestling is, um, you know, uh, still giving us some showmanship. Okay. Um, and I think it, it uh, was a good balance for both. And I just enjoyed watching this match because of that. What's funny is this is kind of still the blueprint in New Japan to this day, where your IWGP heavyweight title match is still this physical story, right? Mm -hmm. And the junior Mm -hmm. heavyweights are still kind of, at best, mid-card to semi-main event of the more high-flying, different showmanship of it all. Uh, it's not up to the level of seriousness. That's why you see a lot mm-hmm. of junior heavyweights 
uh, graduate into the heavyweight division so they can main mm. event, right? <laughs> it's a very old school way of thinking. I think, uh, we're, I think personally, we're kind of well past that of the junior heavyweight being a step down. I don't think that needs to be that, but there is a still uh, storied reason behind that. After all, mm-hmm. you kind of just confirmed that feeling over the there over, you over go. The decades. <laughs> it's like, hey, look at that! Oh, there you they go. Still, they still go for. That's why they're the the main event, right? There you go. There you go. <laughs> so, is it? Am I correct in in assuming now Fujinami was your MVP of of all the yes. all the matches, okay? Well, yeah, he's the champion. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. There you go. <laughs> so I'll have to ask you after the podcast which uh, which show you'd like to watch next. Um, I think we're, okay. I think we're leaning towards all Japan women. Um, yeah, that'd be fun. All right. Thank you, Mom, for coming on yet another hey, podcast. Thanks for having me. Love you. Love you too. Bye. Bye. Yes, here we go. Last segment of the podcast. Hope you guys are enjoying it. Uh, maybe we can keep this under 20 minutes because I haven't watched this episode of Nitro in <laughs> about two weeks, but I have my notes. I have my notes. They're all written down on this handy piece of paper you can hopefully hear in the mic. So let's see here. <clears throat> Nitro, November 2nd. 98 Fort Lauderdale, Florida. So as I have started doing, uh, what's going on during the Monday Night Wars at this point? Well, on Raw, uh, that queen clean swept every quarter hour in the ratings versus Nitro on this episode. Uh, we had Shamrock, yes, the same Ken Shamrock that I just spoke about a rebellion versus The Rock for the Intercontinental Title. As uh, Rock is the number one contender for the heavyweight title, if he wins this match, and the match ends via Shamrock DQ, because of course it does. Uh, Austin McMahon are also in a cage match that was lit on fire, of all things. Involve and and it also involved the Undertaker, the Big Boss Man, Kane, and the match gets thrown out. So, you know, it's not much different than Nitro. It's just the, the, the same shitty booking, right? The difference being that the fans are actually liking the new talent, and the Austin McMahon feud is the shit, right? It's awesome. So now Nitro. Where did Nitro go wrong, and why are they losing? Well, if it's any indication how they started out, that'll tell you. Norman Smiley versus Alex Wright to start off Nitro. Uh, mission of Alex to beat all other European wrestlers on the roster. Yes, Smiley is in fact from England, even though they dub him from CMLL basically all the time. Uh, as the commentators explained, he was from England. Decent match from Alex. Wins via the neckbreaker, but no star power to start Nitro. In a wrestling war. Figure that out. What could possibly be wrong? 
Disco Infernal versus Kaz Hayashi, whom I'm quite enjoying watching whenever Kaz Hayashi's there. A better match, but ends off with Sonny Ono uh, distracting Kaz, makes him look like a total chump. Uh, Sonny Ono is claiming to be the number one Japanese wrestler and undefeated because he, uh, I guess, won kind of a fluke match setup on Thunder. Uh, Kaz gets caught with a pile driver and loses. So, Disco Inferno is like the best pushed mid-carder ever. Don't get it. <laughs> mean Gene with the returning Bret Hart injury angle. And, uh, wait. Mean Gene with returning... Oh, okay. So, yes, Mean Gene is interviewing Booker T who came off the Bret Hart injury angle and the Stevie Ray betrayal. Uh, mentions who took him out and uh, the TV title situation after three months, so so glad he waited that long. I had literally forgotten, uh, even just two weeks ago since I watched this, that, fuck, that's been forever since Booker T was taken out by Bret Hart, but then he was taken out in the back. Uh... So maybe, Nitro, you should show us a fucking clip if something's been that long before the promo. Maybe remind us. Uh, Booker T reveals it was Scott Hall who took him out of all people, in which everyone said bullshit, right? Uh, but Booker T challenges Scott Hall, or he'll find him backstage nonetheless. You know, the promo itself was good. It was just the execution of telling the story that was just atrocious. Because I really, really had to think. I'm like, God, I remember Bret Hart taking out, you know, like Benoit and Booker T. And, of course, they do nothing with wanting to go after Bret Hart themselves. They totally ignore all of that bullshit. Uh, this, all this is followed with a match, which is Scott Putsky taking on Fit Finley. <laughs> Another, just, like... These matches are kind of fun, but they don't fucking matter. They're just they're just there. They exist, right? So a couple mistimings, Finley wins with the tombstone. Like watching AEW, there's there's Darby Allen, there's the best friends, there's some moniker of if they win, you know they're gonna go for the tag title, perhaps, if they rack up a couple wins. Uh perhaps there's a reason why they're going at each other. They they hype up these matches, right? Here on Nitro, ah, just we got we got time to fill. Go out there and have a wrestling match. Who cares if it matters? Uh, Raven cuts a promo, being emo, sad in a dark room. And when I say dark room, I mean a dark room. You can see like a silhouette of Raven and then his face, which is kind of lit up. He's quoting some song lyrics. I have no idea what they were. Well, I do know that they were song song lyrics. Uh, then Canyon shows up to taunt his crying. Oh, you little baby! Oh, you're gonna cry! Gonna be a sad emo boy. <laughs> but all you see is a silhouette of Canyon. You don't actually know it's him until he opens his mouth. Ridiculous. We get the uh, we get the mock Jericho versus Goldberg video package recap thing. Uh, see if they ever do anything with that. Sonny Ono comes out with the cat. Cat sells a woman taking up eight seats. And how fat she is. It was great. Good fat woman joke. Uh, he's versus, uh, later WWE referee Scott Armstrong. 
Uh, I believe this is the same Scott Armstrong that got a concussion in a Sheamus match like 10 years ago. So yeah, uh, it's the cat. It's the cat's usual stick. You got five seconds to leave shtick as I turn my page and notes. Uh, then Armstrong jumps him from behind. And then nine seconds later, cat spin kicks him to win. So that was over. Steve, then we got the other Armstrongs. Steve Armstrong comes out. He also gets beaten up by the cat. And then Cat calls out Bullet Armstrong. Oh, I want this. This was absolutely hilarious. Three-time karate champion. Three-time ratings winner. But not in this quarter hour. Uh, Wrath versus Kendall Wyndham. Uh, Kendall sucks as usual. I hate him. He's super terrible. But main man Wrath, meltdown finish. Made this quick at least. So thank you, Wrath. Me Jean comes out with Bret Hart. Bret Hart says he has a groin pull. And I remember this as a kid. Oh, I remember the Bret Hart groin pull angle and story. Oh, this is glorious. I can't wait to see this again. I don't remember, like, anything that actually happens. I just remember he faked this groin pull injury, but he treated it so seriously I was dying. As a kid, I love this. So when I saw him come out, and he starts referencing his his groin. I just went, "This is it! Oh, here we go!" So yes, Lex, uh, because of this groin pull, he can't wrestle Lex Luger tonight. And I'm like, "Dude, I believe you. I don't want to see you wrestle Lex Luger either." <laughs> and then I'm thinking, "Oh no, was that the main event? I don't know what the main event is. Please don't let that be the main event." Brett is then appalled. Mean Gene questions his integrity of this groin pull. He's so offended. Brett references his crippling victims storyline that WCW is doing nothing with. Those assholes. Uh, he, he, tell, he, he, he talks about crippling DDP last week. Says I taught him a lesson. Don't celebrate in the ring if you beat me, pretty much. That's disrespectful. Brett is amazing in the shit environment. He's doing everything he can to put anything he does over. And then, sadly, Luger comes out. He's in this, like, cut-up shirt with a midriff showing off his abs. He looks absolutely ridiculous. Luger calls him a liar, a coward, just like the U.S. title match that they did, whenever that was, in which then Luger lost the title back three days later on Thunder. <laughs> uh, they go to blows. Gene takes a phantom, uh, like, clothesline, uh, and he treats it like a death bump, like he was going on light tubes or something, uh, and this is off a Luger clothesline to Brett. It was absolutely hilarious, and the commentary is like, down goes Gene! <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I think even Shivani just goes, how about that groin now? <laughs> it's great. Uh, yeah. Luger, Luger has him in the rack uh, during that. It was great. Ah, oh, so good. Another Bischoff video uh, played of Hogan beating up Flair. This time it was a cage match at Halloween Havoc. Uh, so that story continues. Not the worst idea in the world. Um, I know they got to I know they got to fill time. They're not good at it. And Bischoff is at least getting heat with uh, me, the crowd, the TV audience of playing just these old, like, doctoring these these videos of Hogan beating Flair. I do enjoy that. Uh, I just, I can't help but think and imagine, man, if I was in the arena at a Nitro 
and they played this old match from two years ago might not do it for me. <laughs> uh, four horsemen out. This flare goes on and on until Benoit says they uh, they have a match. What the fuck are they doing with the horsemen? Like, they were a hot act in August when Ric Flair came back. They've done nothing with them. Like, it's involved Bischoff and Flair, but Benoit, Mongo, Malenko, even Arn Anderson in a role, they've done nothing. They have literally done nothing. Flair has cut some promos on Bischoff, and then Bischoff got arrested once. So it's much like the Wolfpack in a lot of ways. They're doing nothing with these hot, hot acts. And they're just in free fall. IWGP champion Scott Norton out to the ring with his title. I believe he came out with it the previous week too. Just forgot to mention. And here you go. You have this prestigious title. It's in WCW. They just barely mention it on commentary. There's no, there, there's no playing it up. There's no, like, the announcer calling them that. No nothing. And whom do they, they put up against Scott Norton to defend this pre prestigious title? Van Hammer, formerly of the flock. 30 minutes had passed between the Wrath squash and this. Mind-boggling to me. So... I must admit, though, all of that was worth it, because Norton murders this hippie jobber. Oh, he murders him. At one point, by uh, the railing, when Van Hammer gets thrown outside, you can see a small child uh, stick, his, stick his leg in between the, the guardrail and starts putting the boots to Hammer. I died laughing. It was so funny. Norton couldn't care less about this child beating him up. <laughs> uh... Everything was just so stiff and wonderful. Ends with Norton just killing him with a powerbomb. It was just so hard. You hear this big thud on the map, and I swear you could hear, you could hear Van Hammer just go, Oh, dude. <laughs> it was great. I loved it. We cut to Bret Hart again. Oh, my favorite. He's getting his ribs taped, taped up because of the torture rack. So any, I guess we have a story now of any time Brett gets any sort of physical art altercation, he's got a fake injury. <laughs> so it does take forever, though. We throw back to the ring and it just randomly has uh, Perry Saturn in it. Saturn wants Eddie Guerrero because I guess something happened on Thunder. Uh, and then I remembered, oh, yeah, they had like a match or something or Saturn got jumped by the LWO, whatever. Uh... They go to blows uh, with no bell. There's no referee. A ref does show up. He tries to, like, get, you know, get them out because it never rung. And then there's a pin attempt, and the ref just starts. <laughs> He's like, oh, okay, I guess, I, I guess I'll do this. Uh, after even a moniker of offense from Saturn, the LWO hit the ring again for the imaginary no-match DQ. So hooray there. Eat the LWO. Conan shows up because he's the king of luchadors, I guess. Uh, he has words with Eddie Guerrero. Eddie calls him a punk Mark Buster. Just quite funny. Conan claims this is just the flock again, but Mexicans pretty much. Uh, and then they just leave. 
So super random, Conan leaves down the aisle, and then there's Mariners shortstop Alex Rodriguez. Excuse me? What? I had the double take. I'm like, is that? That's Alex Rodriguez. Even commentary goes, ah, look at Alex Rodriguez hanging out with Conan. I'm like, what is going on with the select? Baffled. Uh, announced match, sort of tag team champions, Chaos versus Scott Steiner. Or tag team champion, one half of it, Chaos. So I guess he gets to keep the belt. Uh, Steiner's with Buff Bagwell, then J.J. Dillon stu- stupidly tries to lay down the law because of what Steiner did last week. Steiner goes bat shit insane. He's yelling. He's screaming. He's chasing everyone down to murder. And then it goes to commercial. And JJ, like, commentary goes, JJ, you want to say something? He's like, yeah, I got something to say. And then they when they, you know, it fades to black because I'm not actually seeing commercials. It fades to black. And when it comes back, it's Psychosis versus Rey Mysterio. I'm like, what did he say? We never found out. That's weird. Okay. I mean, it's WCW, so I don't question things that don't make sense. And, well, of course I do, but I, I don't question when they just fuck up royally. So it's Psychosis versus Rey Mysterio Jr. Lucha Fast, LWO Distraction, Psychosis Powerbomb to beat him. Really nothing. Quite disappointing. Mean Gene is with Jericho as he mocks Goldberg, because that's what he's been doing since... Fall Brawl, I want to say. Could be sooner. Uh, Says they're both ex-football players, which I thought was hilarious because I don't recall Jericho ever playing the American football. Wishes Goldberg all the best in his future endeavors. That really stood out to me in his promo. Even Gene laughed at these two things. It was great. Uh, We get Dean Malenko versus Raven uh, in a match of two guys that have disappeared in this second half of 1998. Raven's sad, wants to get beaten up, and for reasons I can't explain, is a clusterfuck of run-ins. Whoa. This was... This was something. Like, I'm trying to make, take notes of everything that's happening. I just started list, listing off the names of what was going on. So here we go. Lodi runs in. Mongo run, runs in with BDSM whips. Canyon runs in. Then Benoit. Then Bret Hart for some reason. Then Lex Luger comes out. And then Malenko wins with a clover relief. You get all that? Oh, okay. Don't know what that was. Kidman versus Jericho for the TV title. Yes, Chris Jericho is still the TV champion. I could I could see why you'd forget. And yes, Kidman is the Cruiserweight champion. So we can know that this is going to a DQ or no finish or nothing. Because it's WCW. Match was okay. Goes to 10-minute draw. But it was only 825. Because I keep track of these things. Nobody cares about Kidman. And this has kind of been the theme with Billy Kidman since he got his ass beat by Scott Hall. Uh, It's just anyone in the Cruiserweights just have nothing going for him. Top this on with the fact that Kidman had that uproariously boring draw with Rey Mysterio, I think, last week. Uh, Now he's just gone to another one here against the TV champion. Uh, Yeah, how could people possibly care about the Cruiserweights and their champion? It's just, this is why. Just doing this shit. Uh, And yes, we do get Scott Steiner back. He cuts a promo. Uh, 
JJ says Bagwell is now fined 50,000, Steiner 100,000. And then like a mountain lion roaring from <laughs> roaring from the back, Scott Steiner runs out and he just chases everybody away. Commentary is like, fuck, we got to get out of here. They all run for their lives. Steiner's now in the ring with a mic. WCW sucks. <laughs> Stumbles over all his words. Randomly calls out Roddy Piper, because I guess we're supposed to remember he's the commissioner, even though that's been a thing one time in all of 1998. Uh, even goes as far as calling Roddy Piper a... Okay, I wrote this quote down. A, short, a shirt wearing queer on Queer Street and liking it. This is when Bagwell finally gets his hand on the mic. He lowers his head in shame and rips it away. Tries to get some moniker of, or monicum of, uh, semblance to this. Uh, yeah, uh, calls out Chaos. Uh, this dude comes out, gets in the ring in flip-flops. This idiot. Bagwell laughs as Steiner beats the shit out of him, puts him in the recliner. What an, what a moron. This is followed by Scott Hall versus Booker T. Uh, Scott Hall's not drunk anymore. I'm glad they dropped that. Uh, I hope they dropped it anyways. Simple standard match. Solid uh, solid in parts, but of course ends on a lame DQ as Hall moves uh, the ref to take a uh, Booker T missile dropkick. So another ref calls for the DQ when he comes in. Um. Oh, main event. Uh, main event is indeed the not Bret Hart uh, versus Luger match. Instead, now it's Giant. At one point in the night, they did say, "Ah, Giant's going to replace Bret Hart." So Giant's getting fatter and fatter by the week. Uh, I've really noticed this since August. Uh, I guess he decided his contract was coming up and he was going to go to WWF. So why you wouldn't want to get in shape going to a new company uh, is beyond my understanding. But nonetheless, Giant could not give two fucks less. Uh, this was as bad as one could imagine. No punches, no moves, no nothing. Boring ass suck fest for 15 minutes. Uh, no matter how shit Luger is, though, I have to admit that whenever he puts someone in the rack, that crowd explodes. It is amazing. It never fails. I'm flabbergasted because I, I just do not like Lex Luger. I don't like Lex Luger matches. The rack is a cool move, but that's all he's got. But of course, Brett hits the ring for a DQ. And then our absent champion Goldberg finally shows up for 10 seconds, spears the giant, and they go off the air. Amazing incompetence to this all. I personally, as a kid, don't remember Goldberg being a part-time champion. And I realize this is by design. This isn't like some contractual dispute. This is all simply, you know, Goldberg's a champion. If we don't put him on TV, of course, everyone else will get, you know, it's, it's ridiculous. No Hogan on the show now that I think about it. Maybe that's why I didn't hate this show so much. There was just a lot of things that are weird because it's Nitro. I did like Bret Hart being on the show a lot more. I did like Scott Norton killing him a guy. Got to see a Rat Squatch match. I, I'm always a fan of that. 
Uh, Booker T returned. They did something with Dean Malenko, so that was cool. Uh, Raven, at least, is developing um, something more into his character. There was a lot of things I enjoyed about this Nitro, but in the long run, because I know what happens, it gets frustrating. But it's amazing how much more enjoyable this was without the Hogan Ego Fest, right? It, it's like one step to some sort of future. <laughs> amazing how that works out. But yes, they did lose to Raw in every quarter hour, so I can only imagine that the next Nitro, as we're uh, screaming towards uh, World War Three, <laughs> that the next week is going to be a disaster. That is my prediction. I don't remember what happens on next, next week's Nitro, but that is it. And as I make my last note and timestamp for where we are... At this marker, uh, now we can go into the wrestler rankings, and this is a new wrestler ranking because I got to give my January February uh, BJW ranking. So I'll go um, in the number one position is Okabayashi, followed by Sekimoto, followed by Daichi, followed by Fuminori, followed by Yuya, followed by Asami Kodaka. Uh, followed by Yuko Miyamoto, and then Kohei Sato. I didn't think there was... Uh, I think that was all the people that impressed me, so they get some points there. Um, it wasn't 15, so... But in the uh, March one, there were 15, so I'll just go down from top to bottom. 15, 15 uh, points of 15 downward. That's Okabayashi, Daichi, Sekimoto, T-Hawk, uh, Inamura, Irie. Yuya Akira Hyodo, uh, Yasfumi Nakanoe, Ayato Yoshida, Ryuchi Kawakami, Isami Kodaka, uh, Taishi Takizawa, Kohei Sato, and Chango. And then that'll, I'll do the women now for uh, this podcast one in April here. Top 10 women uh, is in the number one position, Sakushi, followed by Mochi Miyagi, followed by Tsukasa Fujimoto, Risa Sara, Kylie Ray, Kira Hogan, respectively, Suza Suzuki in the seven, Maya Yukihi in the eight position, Micah Ozaki nine, and Satsuke Totoro in ten. Uh, as long as these dojo shows are going, looks like Ice Ribbon's going to have a big advantage <laughs> uh, in this. Um, and then I'm going to go from the bottom to the top for the men. So Kenny Omega, 15, Best Runs, 14, Kip Sabian, 13, Sean Spears, 12. I have liked his squash matches, to be fair. 11, Ken Shamrock, 10, Jake Hager. Daisuke Sekimoto gets the 9. Uh, Young Bucks, 8. Uh, Callahan, 7. 6, Willie Mack. 5, John Moxley. 4 is Daichi Hashimoto. 3, Sammy Guevara whom I think is positioning himself quite well. Uh, two Ace Austin and one Darby Allen. There you go. And those are our rankings. Uh, head on over to Twitter at BullyingJD. I will, I, as I do, I always post a uh, updated top 10 rankings um, for the overall of 2020. As it stands uh, in the AEW-WXW war, it is now 6 to nothing. For AEW against WXW, uh, no update on the indie. Stardom and Ice Ribbon are now tied four apiece. 
New Japan has three points. Dragon Gate has four. And now Big Japan has two. So put that in your pipe and smoke it. This has been episode 56 of the WrestleCast. Strong climb, Ice Dojo. See you next time. Thank you.